Hey everybody, it's Lisa Lampanelli, the Queen of Maine, and you know what? I got my own podcast. Yeah, does everyone have one? Pretty much, but mine's different because I'm going to help you like I help myself. Get Stuffed with Lisa Lampanelli every week is going to teach you how to have the fabulous life that I have. If you don't listen, you're just stupid and don't want to help yourself. So don't even listen. I don't even want you to. But if you do, if you disobey my orders and listen, you can go to feralaudio.com or download it from iTunes. But again, don't listen. I don't even care. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. So uh, my name is Alvaro Rodriguez. I'm the screenwriter for The Last Rampage. As a writer, to me, I'm less interested in genre and more interested in character. And, you know, I've written in a lot of different genres, you know, um, kind of horror genre, thriller or action movie or kids movie or, you know, different kinds of things. And it was always more, I was always more interested in character and hadn't really quite done something like this before, but was just uh, really drawn to this idea of um, of a guy like Gary Tyson, who, you know, had been in and out of institutions from the time he was, you know, a kid um, and, uh, and having sort of raised three sons from behind bars. Uh, and how these three sons kind of grew up in the church of Gary and thinking that their father had been, you know, unjustly accused and unjustly convicted and all of this stuff that they were getting fed um, from their mom, Dorothy, who's played in the film by Heather Graham. So to me, it was just, I was interested in telling that kind of a story, telling a family story. You know, to me, the most interesting stories are family stories. In some, centered in some way, you know, they're elemental stories, they're stories that um, go back to, you know, to the most intimate and elemental parts of ourselves. So the idea of fathers and sons, you know, there's a line in the script about, in the movie about that, um, you know, where Gary tells his oldest son, you know, Donnie, there's only one law you got to worry about, you know, and that's a law of fathers over sons. And the only way you're going to, you know, get past that is, you know, by this, you know, by dying, basically, but kind of threatens him a little bit. But um, so that was really, you know, the touchstone for me, uh, trying to figure out how to tell that story. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash Last Rampage Film. Welcome to The X-Files Files. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit Squarespace.com and enter offer code X-Files Files at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hey, so um, this, you know, uh, we talked about this last week. This uh, episode was lost. 
Um, so what I did here is um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Firewalker and a little bit about, um, I never remember the name of it, Red Museum. I'm going to talk a little bit about Firewalker, a little bit about Red Museum, but the bulk of this episode is going to be a conversation with Kevin Smith and Emily and I talking about Excelsior's Day. Now, uh, Excelsior's Day is the episode set in the old folks' home and it has ghost rape in it. And I really wanted to have, I just wanted to talk to a female about it, just because I, I remember when I first watched it, it made me feel a little weird. And when I watched it again, it made me feel a little weird. So I just wanted to get the perspective of someone who just maybe had a different, um, you know, just a different perspective on it. So, uh, so I had Emily <laughs> uh, come to my house or just actually hang out in the house she lives in. And we talked about Excelsior's Day. Um, and, uh, so, so, so that one, uh, is part of this episode and also the conversation with Kevin Smith. Now the conversation with Kevin Smith, he's a huge, huge X-Files fan, but he's also really, really interesting guy. I'd never met her. Nicest guy in the world. I walked into, uh, his house and he has like his Batman room and I looked at one of the Batman, like sculptures and I was like, that one's awesome. And he's like, it's yours. Please take it. And he picked it up and left it by the door because he was like, just in, so that you definitely don't forget you're going to take the sculpture with you. So uh, it's really interesting talking to him because we talk about, we, we have a general conversation about the X-Files, but also a general conversation about writing and making movies and stuff. So um, it all sort of ties back into X-Files, but, you know, it's, we sort of uh, jump from topic to topic a little bit, and uh, I, I'd never talked to him. And I, you know, I think uh, what he represents, like Clerks, really got so many people excited in making movies and watching movies in a uh, that sort of fit a different mold. That I was just excited to talk to him. So there's a lot of X Files talk, obviously, but there's also a lot of talk of. Um, just general writing and filmmaking and stuff. So now, uh, really quick, I just want to some of my thoughts on Firewalker. Uh, this one's directed by David Nutter and written by Howard Gordon, obviously two old hands. Um, I thought this episode, little too similar to Ice for me, didn't really grab me. Um, obviously some great actors in it. Bradley Whitford's great in it. It has Shawnee Smith in it from Saw and Becker. I had my Becker face. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny it. Um, and the guy who has uh, sex with the who fucks the Hogarty dad in Seven. That guy's in it too. And he's always really good. Uh, the stuff I liked about it, I really liked the silicon-based life form stuff. Um, I think I remember an episode of, I think it was Star Trek, the original series, where there's a life form in a cave that they can't quite, um, uh, that their uh, little machines don't pick up, and it's because it's a silicon-based life form, and it's like a chemistry nerd. I remember getting really excited about that because silicon and carbon obviously have very similar properties, and as a kid, I was like, oh my God, that really could happen. So I really liked that. Uh, Bradley Whitford I thought was really good in it. I thought his character was a little too dramatic. He says, uh, of this perhaps new or unfathomably old life form, my intense desire to find the truth has superseded the truth itself. Um, now, obviously, this conversation, he's sort of supposed to be a version of Mulder, right? He's supposed to be a guy, like uh, we're supposed to see... Um, Mulder in him, like he's a guy who, you know, the intense desire to find the truth had superseded the truth itself. Is that where Mulder is? He says another line that he says that I thought was really dramatic was uh, petition heaven against some penetrating answer. If you found that answer, what would you do with it? So dramatic. He should have been a poet instead of a scientist person. But um, Mulder, uh, obviously, 
you know something we've talked about on the show is that uh, how much of it is how much of the of, of what drives Mulder is the quest for truth rather than the truth itself what would he do if he actually found it i don't think he knows i don't think he knows what would happen so i thought that last conversation was pretty good for me, it was a little too on the nose. Obviously, this guy's a parallel for Mulder and, you know, sort of uh, represents the pitfalls that Mulder could fall prey to if Mulder's not careful. So it raises the stakes on the character a little bit. But to me, it just seemed a little too obvious. Um, obviously, got to talk about the dick that grows out of everyone's throat. But also, I don't know what else can be said about it. So I think maybe talking about it is just mentioning it. They die because a uh, dick grows out of there wrote and i can't believe that nobody while making it thought that that was gonna be weird um i like the part where bradley whitford shoots the the, the seven guy with the flare gun and kills him like that's a pretty horrific way to go um what i another thing i thought was weird was so in ice they're all sort of taken over by this organism and they all become aggressive and stuff to me that makes sense the idea that this fungus takes over people and then they become more calculating and stuff and conniving, that's weird to me that they lie because it is ultimately a very simple organism. I understand if it's going in the brain and setting off certain hormones and chemicals in the brain and just making you generally more aggressive. Like that's what rabies does. I don't buy that there's a fungus that can make people smarter and more evil in weird ways. Like that to me didn't really ring true to me. Also, I didn't love the part where Scully's uh, handcuffed to, the, to Shawnee Smith and she closes the door and just kind of like lets her die. Obviously, she has no choice. It just, I don't want to see Scully do that. And it didn't feel to me like it was a tough decision. As a doctor, she sh there should have been a moment where she's like, oh, I had to just sort of excuse myself from the situation and watch her die. But it didn't seem like she struggled with it. Obviously, the right decision. I just didn't love it. Um, oh, uh, wanted to talk about this. The the um. A fungus is actually based on a real thing. It's called a zombie fungi. The name of it is Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Uh, British naturalist Alfred Russell Wallace found it in 1849. Um, so in order to uh, increase its own fitness, this uh, fungus utilizes the evolutionary trait of an extended phenotype to manipulate the behavioral patterns of an infected ant. Specifically, it's a specific ant. The infected ants leave their canopy nest and foraging trails, heading for the forest floor in search of an area with a temperature and humidity level that is suitable for fungal growth. The infected ant will then use its mandible to affix itself to a major vein on the underside of a leaf and eventually die. So the insect climbs up the stem of a plant, uses its mandibles to secure itself to a leaf vein with an abnormal force, leaving dumbbell-shaped marks on it. Um, and this thing has been, you know, they found evidence of this thing being around 48 million years ago. Once the mandibles of the ant are secured to the leaf, so, you know, unfathomably old, he was right. Once the mandibles of the ant are secured to the leaf vein, atrophy quickly sets in, destroying the muscle fibers, mitochondria, blah, blah, blah. And is no longer able to control the muscles of the mandible. It just stays there. It's called the death grip. And then it kills the ant and continues to grow inside the ant's exoskeleton, uses the exoskeleton as like a nest or a cocoon. And then they sprout out of the ant and uh, the fruiting body bodies go from the ant's head and rupture, releasing more spores. So, I mean, truly, truly horrifying stuff. And I talked about it before. I like when X-Files uses real life stuff. So in this, it makes sense that the ant, it makes the ant go up doesn't make sense to me that it makes them smarter in a different kind of way. But what's also interesting is that 
These ant colonies have evolved the ability to sense that a member of the colony is infected. Healthy ants will carry the dying one far away from the colony in order to avoid fungal, fungal spore exposure. So that's pretty interesting. They figured out what qualities infected ants in, uh, exhibit and have, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, take them out. Um, Howard Gordon got the idea to write the episode after seeing two news reports about Project Dante, a, a robotic explorer created by NASA that had been sent into a volcano. Um, James Wong didn't like the episode. He said it's too similar to ice. If the show starts to cannibalize itself, there's going to be trouble. Oh, by the way, all that stuff about the fungus is from Wikipedia. Uh, Howard Gordon, however, stated, I know there are similarities with ice, but I think once you get beyond the similarities of a group of people in a confined space going up against a creature, there are enough differences to separate the two. So they disagreed on that. Um, now, here in the message boards, one of the things I've seen a lot is... Um, here, I'll just read it. I've seen a lot of posts complaining about the discussion of Scully's breasts in the episode One Breath. As a member of the GATB, that's Gillian Anderson Testosterone Brigade, I'd like to assert my right to discuss any and all portions of Scully's anatomy as I see fit. If you don't like it, stick breast discussions into your kill file. These discussions fulfill a deep-rooted need in our psyches and we're tired of being discriminated against. What do you other GATBers have to say about this? Um, people are like, I agree with this because I'm shocked about the double standard discuss regarding discussing GA's chest versus DD Speedo. On the other hand, I'm wondering how many women reading this news group are under the mistaken impression that the size of her chest will appear has anything to do with how attractive the opposite sex will find her. So obviously, objectifying a guy and objectifying a woman are very, very, very different things. Um, you know, we're in a still a pretty patriarchal society. Guys, don't get me started on that stuff. So I don't want to get too serious here. But obviously, um, it feels different because it is different. Um, the other thing I saw, a lot of people are talking about Mulder's watch. His newest watch looks very much like a Timex. There are a number of Timex Brave Wave variations out in the market. His ha happens to be the black and white and silver model. Um, people are like, no, uh, that's Scully's watch. Uh, that's not his watch. And they're like, no, I'm referring to his present watch. His old watch used to be a black Swiss Army watch. Um, Scully's watch is a cardinal. And then now they're saying <coughs> Mulder sports a silver Timex Iron Man with a black strap and blue lettering. So people are really getting into his watch. Um, they talk about in one breath how he might be watching a porn in the beginning. There's a lot of argument going on about that. People are not into it. Uh, Here's another thing people are upset about is uh, let's add to the list overquoting. Uh, and that's when people respond to a message and they just would quote the whole message in there. So, so this part is interesting to me because this is the developing of Internet chat room etiquette. So we're seeing it happen before our eyes. People are talking about how, you know, um, messages break down into 98 percent quote, 2 percent messages. They're like and he says, oh. Because he downloads them in the morning and then reads them over the day. He's like, one 350K gift file can be a burden, but I can pretty much guarantee that the overquoting that goes on here outdoes that amount on an every other day basis. So 350K, huge, guys, huge. Uh, and people are sort of complaining about that, how they're like, I don't have much bandwidth. Why, why are they doing this to me? Oh, should I read this? I found... So, and then other people are complaining... Uh, well, hey kids, isn't it nice that we're now being swamped by I can't believe the breast fetishism comments rather than the best breast comments themselves. So he's talking about now they're complaining about people complaining about Scully's breast. And there's a poem. Maybe I'll read it. All right. So this guy wrote a poem about this exact issue. 
Uh, oh, behold these ogling creatures displaying their childish features, showing their utter lack of taste, inviting open censure and chaste. Why do they publicly continue to drool and make themselves appear such fools when to all it is evident and clear that it is not appropriate to leer as such changes so natural and good as a woman's entry into motherhood? So these heathens would be well adv advised. Restrain their hormones. They should surmise. Tis better to appreciate a motherly beauty than to be flamed for all eternity. What is the cause of this strange obsession? Is it perhaps a Freudian fixation? Perhaps it reminds them they and their ilk of their mothers, their breasts, and their milk. Perhaps they yearn for those days long past when they could cling to their mother's breasts, suckling like piglets at the sow. Holy bacon, I can just picture them now. Wow, this gets weird. There was once a lamer named Walter Yen. Now, this is a guy that everyone kind of picks on a lot. He's like a guy, apparently was talking a lot about this stuff. There was once a lamer named Walter Yen who through silly remarks did falter when childish rantings he spewed until his behind was chewed out by the mob whose anger he fanned. Walter claims to be a member of the GATB, but we true brigadiers know it's not to be. We would never admit someone so uncouth who rejects the most basic truth that of all women, GA is the most IDDG. And that stands for Intelligent Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, this is another thing. This is interesting how our views to porn have changed. Um, and this is what this guy says about it. Before one breath, I might have said that Mulder has one of the typical char characteristics of porn fans that he finds it difficult to respect women, which would add a new explanation to his relationship with Scully. He is able to trust her because he has she has earned his respect and because he does not see her as a sex object. For all you porn fans out there, let me just state that I've been told that lack of respect for women is a common characteristic of porn fans. Not that all porn fans hate women and only think they're sex objects. Now this is, it's interesting because it's, there's like a bigger stigma against porn then than there is. Now it feels like porn to me now. It feels pretty mainstream and admitting that you like porn isn't like considered shameful. It's not something you want to talk about, but it's not like a deep, dirty secret. Um, and then he's defending it. He says, I don't think Mulder's being interested in porn makes him less of a nice guy. I knew a few guys in high school who were really into porn. Kitty porn, which is even grosser, and eventually got one of them arrested, and they were jerks. That's a weird... Yeah, this guy's into kitty porn. What a jerk. This guy. What a gross guy. Like, that's that's a more intense thing than just porn, you know? Um, basically, uh, so, so, that's, so that's all about that. But I, you could sort of see... Obviously, the level of discourse dropping in these message boards before our eyes. Red Museum, uh, written, directed by Wynne Phelps, written by Chris Carter. Now, this one is more interesting uh, because it's sort of an episode that's all over the place a little bit. And in the end, weirdly, it ties into the main mythology in sort of a weird way. I thought the opening scene with the huge meat going from cow's eyes to just meat. I thought that was interesting. The fact that the mom comes home, doesn't want pepperoni or pizza. That's a fun little detail. She's been dealing with meat all day. She's, she knows how gross it is. She doesn't want to eat it. That's a fun little detail that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, the, the part where Mulder um, defends that kid who's being picked on by the four kids who call him diaper head and Aladdin, which feels racist, even though that kid's white. It just—I bet when the cast said they were like, "We really can't have any brown people in this cult because that's just gonna look weird. We can't have that." Um, one of the things I've talked about—I don't love episodes where Mulder and Scully are pretty passive. The scene where they're just eating—I know there's a, a bit of a payoff later because they've been eating that very meat that has been, you know, infected with the alien DNA. It just felt like they weren't actively doing anything. It felt like they were kind of just waiting around. And to me, you know, that's not my favorite. I thought the hallucinogenic scene with the birds and the bugs, that was 
pretty insane. Um, I like the audacity of that, I guess. Um, oh, I, I this always, you know, that old guy who picks him up and is like, here, I'll show you. I have to show you something. And then he gets to the farm and explains to them that it was his dad's farm, blah, 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 all that stuff. I always want to, I, I always want to know what the conversation in the car is like, where they're like, hey, um, so what did you have to say? He's like, no, 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 I really have to take you there before I can I can show it to you. It's just going to be way more impactful if I actually show it to you. I always think that's funny where they're like, the car ride must have been so quiet. Um, the doctor, Dr. Gerald Larson, they talked about him in Picket Fences, which is on a different channel. Now I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, I didn't like that crew cut, crew cut man. Scully just kind of sees him. Randomly, they don't do anything. They don't kill him. The sheriff kills him. It just didn't feel that exciting to me. But what I did like is the way that it tied into the big mythology at the end. I like that it makes it sort of more insidious, that it's just kind of going on everywhere. You know, like it could be anywhere. I thought that was like kind of crazy and cool. Like it's not just in big areas. Their roots go so deep that they can come up in tiny towns across the country. You know, it's just a small hint of how big this thing is. Like I, I really thought that was cool. Um and at the end, they just leave the small town, and all the evidence is gone, and they're gone away. Like I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Um, didn't love that the way that they made any sort of breakthrough in the case is that a plane just happens to crash. Like that felt so, um, that was so uh, lucky for them that that just happened. Otherwise, I would have they would have eaten barbecue and then gone home. So didn't didn't love that. Now, here's the weird thing about this episode. This episode was originally intended to be a crossover episode with the CBS show Picket Fences, which was set in another town in Wisconsin. David E. Kelly and Chris Carter worked on the same, in the same uh, area, and they were like, hey, let's, uh, let's do a crossover. So they both wrote it as a crossover. They were both characters going to be on each other's shows, and then CBS at the last minute decided to put the kibosh on it, which I get. It's a different channel. Uh, but they'd set it all up, and then they got really upset. Um... The Picket Fences episode intended to be part of the crossover was called Away in the Manger. Um, while every reference to Picket Fences has been purged from the X-Files episode, there are still small winks left in the Picket Fences episode referring to the happenings of the X-Files, including a mention of Dr. Larson. Um, so they actually, it's interesting, like uh, those guys left in some references to weird X-Files stuff happening, but X-Files took everything out. They left some of the names to and stuff. It was interesting. Glenn Morgan, who was on this podcast, didn't love the resolution with regarding the crew cut man. He said, my feeling is that to bring this guy back, his presence should have been better developed and he shot off screen. screen. I thought, geez, this is the guy who killed Deep Throat, who the audience love and it's kind of tossed away. This episode just seems like kind of half one thing for a while, then half of another thing. I, I think that there was a cu that was a curious choice for Chris Carter. He wanted to take a real left turn, but I'd rather have seen a whole episode about that guy showing up and Mulder getting back at him. Uh, James Wong also didn't like it. I thought this was one of the most confusing episodes I've ever seen. It had some really neat ideas in it, but I don't, don't think it pulled it together finally. Now, people on the message boards are really upset. There's a post-editor who wrote an article about X-Files fandom and apparently found a lot of people talking about Scully's boobs. And uh, these guys are really, really upset about it. Um, I couldn't find the article anywhere, but uh, that's interesting, right? Um, so, again, I'm not going to bore you guys with this. Again, it's about objectification and stuff. That's what people are talking about. Unfortunately, when these groups were started, the actors' real names were used instead of the characters, and I think that is a large part of the problem. So, 
people are sort of all fighting about that. Um, oh, here's a description for Picket Fences Away in the Manger. Sheriff Brock investigates cows that are suspected to have been injected with alien DNA. Um, so they actually talk about, on the show, they talk about like uh, weird stuff happened there involving alien DNA, cows, a plane crash, and a doctor named Larson. They specifically reference uh, the events of the X-Files. Um, and then Jimmy, the, the, the sheriff, investigates cows that are suspected to have been injected with alien DNA. But the sheriff's department soon finds that the truth is even stranger than fiction and that the cows are being used to help breed human babies. So, I, I don't know. That image is kind of cool. Just like a human baby inside a cow. That's weird. Anyway, so those are sort of my thoughts about those two episodes. Uh, we lost a lot of stuff, but, you know... Um, you sort of sort of get the gist of it. I like, uh, um, I like a red museum, the way it tied in felt a little arbitrary, and I didn't think the crooked man should have been killed off so easily. But its ultimate contribution to the show, the fact that this stuff is happening in random small towns, almost like test markets, you know. Um, I remember <laughs> when I was in college one summer, I stayed and in Grinnell, Iowa, this tiny town. This new drink started called Zotics, Z-O-T-I-C-S, Zotics, and all, they had like uh, different flavors, like mangosteen. They had like weird flavors, uh, non like dragon fruit, like non like exotic fruits. That's where the name Zotics comes from. And it, they only had it for a month, and it went away, and I could never find find it, and I can't find any evidence of it online. We were a test market, it didn't pan out, and it was gone. That's kind of how I feel about you know this. Uh, similar stuff is happening in the X-Files, especially in this episode. You know, like something happened, it's gone, and now there's no evidence that it ever happened. So, um, all right. So I think we're going to do uh, Emily talking about Excelsior's Day first, and then we'll uh, go into the conversation with Kevin Smith. Thanks for listening. Hey, Emily Gordon is here again. Hi, guys. What's up? Hi, I'm Emily Gordon Nanjiani. I'm not. <laughs> I didn't take your name. Why not? I might. I might still. Still? Yeah. Great. I gotta uh, have that be my private name. What do you mean private name? I don't know what I mean by that. Didn't like uh, people have professional names? Yes. My professional name. <laughs> you have a so it's like a pen name, but just for your oh, life. Oh wait, it's my amateur name. Okay. My amateur right. name would be Emily Nanjiani. Emily Nanjiani, thank you so much for making uh, your way to this podcast. Tough. The traffic in the kitchen was really tough. <laughs> the traffic in the good. <laughs> there was a cat in the way. This time of day, it's like a nightmare. Um, we live together. Yes, we do live together. <laughs> um, so I wanted to have you for this one because this one I remember feeling weird about. This one is Excelsior's Day. It's set in an old folks' home. And the best way to describe it is ghost rape. Straight up ghost rape. I mean, that's the cold open. Cold open is ghost rape, but there's some debate in my head. Can you call what happened to her ghost rape? No, it's not ghost rape. Exactly. So it's, we're going to discuss that. We're going to get into it. But well, Here's the weird thing about this episode. I remember that being weird, feeling weird in the same way that the Evil Dead tree rape feels weird. That feels super weird. It just feels a little exploitative. And I've talked, I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast, but you and I have, have talked about it. Like, we're both big horror movie fans, but horror movies will sometimes, like, use rape. Yeah. To unsettle people in yeah. a way that doesn't feel... It feels cheap. It feels cheap. And tacky. And it's not handled sensitively. And it's just a shortcut. You can obviously get a reaction by throwing a rape into something. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like a lazy way of... It's a little bit lazy. Um, sometimes, and it's hard to be like, sometimes rape is used to great effect. 
Uh, but there are occasions when you're uh, when I've seen it work, and for whatever reason, Game of Thrones at this point it's just so oversaturated with rape that I just let it go. I just let it go. All right. Well, let's um, let's stay away from Game of Thrones rape, <laughs> but we'll talk about X Files rape. I don't even mean TV show stuff. I just mean if you've read the books, every third page there's a couple of rapes. Well. I think there's a way to handle it sensitively because if something, if a piece of whatever depicts rape, it really has to be kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. And on this episode, she gets raped in the beginning. And then you kind of don't really do much with her (laughs) character. They're literally like... Uh, you got raped. Uh, you might have some weird stuff going on in your past. Okay, w- whatever. Can you shut up talking about how this has traumatized you on multiple levels? Uh, we have other shit going on, like people tripping and falling out of windows. Like, <laughs> and she still works there. She still works there. Which, that is way, crazy. By the way, sometimes you can't leave uh, an abusive situation you're in. Sometimes you don't have that ability. Okay, I will say that if you were raped by a ghost, that chances are you would not work at that place. Chances are, but what if you need to make rent, Kumail? I know that you're say, being handling something sensitively. I am. Because of a real-world situation. You're handling it funny. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm not handling <laughs> it funny. I'm just saying it's part of the unbelievability of this yeah. episode. The other thing that's weird is that Mulder is a skeptical one and pretty much is saying that he doesn't believe in entity rape. That's what they call yeah. it. Yeah. And so he's basically saying that this woman is lying about being raped, which just feels icky. It does feel icky. It feels icky because, you know, I mean, in the show, he's sort of, you know, saying this paranormal phenomenon doesn't happen. All the other shit happens, but this one is fake. But the the real world, like, analogy to it is kind of icky. But, uh, you know, his, uh, his argument for it is that a lot of women who are raped are so traumatized that they end up trying to block out as much as the attack as possible, including possibly the attacker. But I don't think he's saying that she was raped and that she then later said it was a ghost. She's just, because there's a... I think that's what he was saying. That is what I don't saying. think so, because there's one part where Scully's like, well, it, she had this, this, this. She was punched in the head. And Mulder just says, Mulder never says that it probably was a real person. Mulder basically says, no, that doesn't happen. And then she says, well, she has injuries consistent with sexual assault. And he just kind of deflects it. He doesn't ever say that she was probably... Because she, you know, she says she had a concussion, like a really severe concussion. Yeah. And Mulder just kind of deflects it. Ghost rape kit is hard to find, I would imagine, too. Now you're treating it funny, Now I'm Emily. treating it funny. But uh, I felt like you were getting in there a little. Uh, I do feel like that, that actress's audition scene had to be very... Intense. I wrote down, this is a tough audition. Because that must have been a fuck of an audition. Yeah, um... Can you imagine having to go in? I just think anytime, because obviously that's the scene as, as a casting person, which I am not, that's the scene you're going to want to see is take the toughest scene. This is how I imagine it works. You take the toughest scene in the thing, have them do that as a measure of whether or not they can do, um, you know, the easier scenes. So they were like, hey, welcome. Hi, what's your name? Uh, Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Uh, are you Union? Great. Are um, you union? Great. Um, can you? <laughs> oh, go could ahead you and, slate yourself, please? Could you slate yourself and then go ahead and get up on that gurney and get raped by no one? <laughs> oh, God damn it, Emily! <laughs> I don't the, mean to treat. I like of this that there's lightly. a gurney in the audition room. <laughs> they gotta get real. It, it slides around a little bit. I've never had sex on a gurney, consensual or otherwise. But I imagine consensual or otherwise, Emily, <laughs> you're getting into weird territory here. <laughs> 
Um, you made me watch the Ghost Rape episode. I just, I just, again, wanted to have your perspective on this. Okay, all right. Because about the horror movie, uh, horror movies using rape in a way that's cheap. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it a lot, so I wanted to apply it to this. The other thing that feels weird, so the cold open is the ghost rape, entity rape. Um, Which you wonderfully don't really see that much of. That's so great. You I mean, but you see her hands getting tired. I know, and stuff. yeah. And then it goes right to Mulder and Scully like joking about porn. Do you remember that? That's right. Where he says, uh, whatever tape you found in the VCR isn't mine. And she says, yeah, I put it in the drawer with all the other tapes that aren't yours, <laughs> which is which is funny. By the way, people on the message boards really hate Mulder's porn thing. Why? That's very interesting. I wonder why. I think in the 90s. Uh, there was more of a stigma against watching porn. Oh, I think you might there be right. Is now because mm -hmm. the internet and porn is everywhere. It is true that it definitely felt like something dirty. It was like dirty to do, and 90s and even earlier than that, masturbation felt like something that was much more taboo. And now I feel like everybody kind of brags. People are doing it in the streets. It. Everywhere, um, it's coating the streets with white oh, oh, or clear. With what? White or clear? What? Emily, <laughs> the cream or the clear, if you remember, were the steroids that they would, when there was the big steroid scandal, it was the cream and the clear. So, it's... Should we talk about that? We're a little loopy today. We just need to say yeah, we're, we're both we, a little loopy. We went to the Emmys last night, and so that'll tell you how far in advance we were recording this. Yeah. yeah. But, um... So we're both like a little, we both have B. Arthur voice, and we're yeah, both a little loopy. things happened. We ate burritos. Um, Mulder talks about how he's got a whole, like, foul, like, thing on entity rape he doesn't like it and then the woman talks about how when you bathe somebody every day for five years you get to know them an um, old man smells a certain way and feels a certain way like that was pretty uh that was pretty gross yeah and that old man like shows his dick yeah and he says uh, what does Mulder say he's like thank you for sharing or something yeah. like that and she's like what do you think and he says about that guy's plumbing that's a fun line. Plumbing but, is a good reference to genitals. Yeah, but that's a weird, creepy... Um, well, the whole dirty old man, old man thing is a thing, yeah. Oh, you didn't like that either, huh? Well, I just don't... Uh, I mean, it's. I don't think it's super... I, I didn't think it was hack, because you don't see it that often, but um, it is true that like that's one level of sexuality that I try to be like very like sex positive and everything's cool with me, but then show me an old person having sex, and I'm like, yikes. You well, know? but this is old person having non-consensual... Sure, but just the idea of seeing an old man's penis. I'm not into it. That's fine, I think. That's yeah. a personal preference. You're not against the idea of them having sex with each other. You're just against the idea of you watching well, it. No, just kidding. <laughs> I get in there, you know? Yeah, bring and with it, drugs these days, it's happening a lot. Break it out and bring it home. Bring yeah, home. one scene that I laughed out loud at was that the... A the uh, and I'm going to call him the Asian orderly because that's what uh, Mulder calls him. Uh... By the way, that guy works out at my gym. Okay, so we were watching this episode. Yeah, and Kamel I freaked out. made this noise that it might as well have been that he saw a corpse in the middle of our living room. And I was like, what? Oh, my God, what? And he was like, that guy works out at my gym. I've talked to him. I've talked to him. His name's Saab. Saab? And he's a very nice guy. Yeah. And um, he plays a very small part. Uh, it's a part. It's an he, important part. It's an important part, but he has like a small part in this episode. Yeah, he. but there's one part where he's like in the doorway and you just see him like back away <laughs> really quickly. I was like, that's nothing to what, worry about. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yeah, from the beginning, they set up that he was involved. Yeah. Um, although, and I'm sure we'll get to it, I still have not quite sure how I Mulder think made the this connection. Is what it, oh, I should say that this episode is directed by Steven Sergic, written by Paul Brown, and Sergic was a big fan of the show and basically begged to direct an episode and then he saw the script and he was like 
All right, this is like a monkey's butt situation. <laughs> really? I get. I mean, I'm saying he must have. Yeah. Th- th- this is like a monkey's butt kind of situation. Like it's just a tough, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think this is what's happening. Is that so? They're on medication for Alzheimer's, and basically, what's happening is that they're all like becoming smart. But I have some very experimental medication that's not been approved by the FDA. Right. But no. But what Saab's doing is he's got his like fucking mushrooms from the magical orient which you don't even find out that he's from malaysia until the end they're just like where he's from they, they keep it's the like crazy they, magical foreigner they might as well say like be saying ancient chinese secrets it's like that level of like yeah. weird yeah it, it's foreign yeah there's a really horrible part where he says uh in my country our customs are different and the person's like you're not in your country now and it's not that we are supposed to dislike what that person said. Like, yeah. we're supposed to be on that person's side. Yeah, and for that time being, we are supposed to be on that person's side. It's a very weird... Um, and also, I like that they did... The fine people of X-Files did what seems like no research into, like... I don't know, just Asia, I guess. I don't know, we'll figure it out No, later. Malaysia is where we find out he's sure, from. Sure, but, like, there's no, like, actual, like, well, the Malaysians back then did this, and that's why we know... Like, there's no... Uh, oh, no. They it's didn't all fake shit. Yeah. And also, Mulder sees that guy painting the graffiti and is like, you have an Asian orderly, right? Like, And that's okay. when I was like, what? So what... Can you explain that to me? So I think, I think the mushrooms... It's all vague, which... All, it's just that it's not well done, I don't think. But I think what it is is that the experimental drugs with the mushrooms are making them not just smarter, but also making them able to project their bodies. No, I don't mean explaining the mechanic behind the, the episode. Well, and okay. I'm going to just finish this uh, so I can say it out loud. And also uh, connecting them to the spirit world, but it's a two-way connection. So now the spirits that are unhappy there are sort of coming back and getting their revenge and you're like oh their revenge <laughs> and you're like oh they're their revenge i'm on their side they were treated poorly yeah but their revenge is rape and then suddenly you're not on this side anymore yeah it's um okay no but the question i had for you is yes sorry what i have so many questions okay first off david duchovny what on earth about seeing the graffiti, the mural that the man I was have painting, no idea. I made think him realize that somehow an ancient Chinese secret, if we're calling it that in quotes, was involved in this. Yeah. I just don't understand. Yeah, well, you know, Confucius said oh. that if you see a graffiti, I'm oh. doing a... <laughs> I'm doing the joke you were doing with ancient Chinese secrets. Here's my other question. But is, that's how the episode is. Yeah, here's my other question is that it seems like no one other than... The, the rapist is able to astrally project himself. Am I correct on that? And no one other than that guy is also connecting to the dead people? No, that old the lady old is. old lady is. So what I thought was happening, and I still maybe kind of do, is that it was the ghost of a previous resident who, yes. that she mistreated who raped her. I think that, or maybe... I think that is maybe what was happening. And then so she's wrong about this guy... So Scully was wrong, yes. Right? So that's, uh, that's what I don't get. But I, Scully was closer to the truth than Mulder was. Well, the truth is out there. So, I mean, you got to get close to it at some point. Is that okay? Do you get $5 every time someone <laughs> you says You get it $5 on the- <laughs> every time someone works in organically. The truth is out there or trust no one. <laughs> the truth is in there. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a little muddled what exactly. She communicated with the dead. He became a really good artist again. But I think that was more of the Alzheimer's drugs than it was the ancient Chinese secret But drugs. the ancient... Chinese secret drugs are also supposed to do that. Cure all their Alzheimer's. I like that they're like, listen, uh, good news, bad news, great news. uh, It does cure all Alzheimer's. 
bad news. Yeah, you get a connection to the spirit realm, and then they kind of uh, get their. You vengeance. might get ghost raped. Yeah, I, but it's almost like a um, you know, when stuff there's a that trope of like stuff being built on an on an ancient burial grounds and how the spirits come and fuck yeah. with the people. It's kind of like that, but an old folks' home where people were mistreated. Which I like that idea as a one sentence elevator pitch. Just don't know if I love how it was. Done. I I like that idea too. If it's an old folks' home where people were wronged, and so now the place has kind of gone bad. Yeah. By the way, I thought that the effect of the ghost, for whatever reason, was really good. They did. They did a it great was job really creepy. That. Yeah. Um, but uh, the way it's done is weird, and the Malaysian guy—that's a weird thing—and the yeah. ghost. It just. There's so many weird, disparate elements that all are And I weird. feel like you keep giving me these episodes where it's like a million stories in one. I guess I do. <laughs> um, yeah, the elevator pitch of this episode I absolutely loved, but uh, I do, like, get clear on who's raping who. Like, that's all I'm saying. Get clear. Get clear on who's <laughs> raping who? Well, we know who the who that the rape... I just... We still, at the end of this episode, don't know who raped that woman. All I know is I believe it. Uh, I know she was raped because we saw it happen, but I still don't know if it was a dead guy or an alive guy astrally projecting. Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, it could have been a cocoon. I think they're like, at that point, who cares? Some <laughs> crazy shit has happened. I would have loved it if it was like a cocoon reboot or like a batteries not included reboot. No, that one didn't have old people, did it? Uh, I don't remember. I think Anyway, let's stick with people. cocoon where it's like old people banding together to do some cool shit and like. You want to be on the night. old people's side, but did. these old people make it very hard to be on their uh, side. Horrible. I love uh, one of my favorite subgenres is old folks' home stuff. Yeah, like Cocoon or Baba Hotep. Baba Hotep's one of the best movies. Yeah, I just like the idea of these people who um, are, you know, close to dying and have lived these amazing lives, and they usually all of these things are about them getting empowered again yeah i think that's a really cool story i love those stories i think they're fantastic yeah but in this episode it's just not done Isn't well such a funny thing to like and by the way here's one thing i did like about the woman the nurse often television shows i feel like i get kind of soapboxy on your show i'm sorry often television shows when there is someone who um has uh been a victim of a sexual assault they'll go out of their way to like be like no she's a really great person she would like she's a good person. She doesn't deserve any of this. She's a hi. Yes. Go ahead. She's a very very good person. Uh but this one that woman wasn't maybe a great person. She had like lied about her job stuff Yeah, before. but nobody deserves revenge rape. Come out. I swear to god, are you really trying to be like oh no, no, I, no, no, no. I'm not I'm not saying I'm just saying like SVU often they'll go out of their way to portray their victims as like they were so good and and they didn't, you know, yeah. they didn't deserve this, but like this is a woman who was maybe not a great woman, did some fraud, did some like employment fraud, but she also still didn't deserve to be raped. Right, but then the episode doesn't, there should have been a moment where Mulder's like, hey, I was wrong. Yeah. I am sorry, Scully. I am sorry, woman, uh, Michelle, I, something is her name. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I was wrong. There should have been that moment. Absolutely, I agree I with felt you. like that moment was really missing because Mulder doesn't have that happen yeah. at all. Um, the other thing that I didn't love about this episode, I mean, I mean, those are the big crazy things, but another one is that so the, in the cold open, there's the ghost rape, and then nothing supernatural happens for a very long time. Yeah. It's very slow. It's kind of boring, and I don't like the episodes where Mulder and Scully aren't really finding stuff out, where they're not actively, their investigations aren't really unearthing stuff, and in this one, 
It's like that. There's no headway, no clues. We know something is going on because they're talking about these pills. Because well, we see that Asian guy backing up. Yeah, <laughs> we see him backing up. <laughs> that's it. That's all we got. It'd be so funny if I go to the gym and that's what he. That's just how he moves around the that's gym. How he got the part. I see him behind like the uh, machine. One girl the- had to hop up on a gurney. He just had to back it up in that room. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, so, so I think. Um, and, and that's another part of it that I didn't like. It's like, that's but my, the exercise episodes I don't love are the ones where they're not really, their investigations aren't fruitful. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those. They're not really finding out something until Mulder has that crazy epiphany yeah. that you pointed out yeah. uh, with the graffiti. Don't you have an Asian guy? Like, yeah, he's just a and guy doesn't though. And he have some ancient Chinese secrets? Well, that's the thing is like, <laughs> it's so, it's, it's so weird. Yeah. It's so weird that he's like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I am Asian. There's so magic shit happening. So the Asian guy, he's clearly sucks. got something going on. White folk never get any Asian. And oh, whoops! White folk never get any magical. We don't. Y- have you're any. a white folk who's getting some Asian. Good point. Up top. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. And I think you can corroborate that pretty there magical. is magic. It's pretty magical. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now that everyone's awkward, uh, this one also has another like great ADR that I rewound and watched because there's a guy's dead <laughs> guy's body that they find and it cuts to the dead guy's face and Mulder clearly ADRs the dead guy's name because the note was like, who the fuck is this guy? We don't know who We don't this remember is. him. He's shadowy. There's, yeah. It's hard to see. Because at the beginning, there are yeah. two asshole orderlies and they both get their comeuppance uh, in, in due time. I think that the other one, the guy who like falls off and he's mm-hmm. hanging off the thing and you see his fingers being pried off That's the roof so cool, by right? Invisible. I thought that was a cool scene. And that's a hard audition, too. A lot of tough auditions in this. How do you do that with your hands? I don't know. I was actually thinking about it. Like, you just like, ugh. I think I did a pretty good job right now. Did just you now? see it? Watch. Watch. Uh, uh, no. If I may narr- narrate. Can I? It's pretty good. I feel like most of the work is being done by your mouth. <laughs> Screaming no, but the finger... It. It was pretty... Okay, tell me what was wrong with it. Uh, no, it was great. It you was narrated. Just, it was just hard to focus on that because you were going, no, no. <laughs> you were looking in my face. I tell you what, let's have a... Instead of my hands. Five seconds of silence in podcast world while Kumail does this without also screaming help. But that's part of it. Nope, it's not. Not right that's now. That's what acting is. Not for this audition. <laughs> if you want this part. <laughs> Watch, there's this more. That's the first finger. Okay. It just looks like okay. you're slowly giving a peace sign. <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like. You're like not sure if you want peace I or not. I don't want peace. <laughs> I'll but do it. I thought that was pretty good. You did a great job. Uh, tell me, explain it. Explain to the people at home what you saw. You look like you were giving a slow peace sign. <laughs> Kumail was pretending to hold onto a building and then pretending <laughs> that his fingers were being pried off of the building by a ghost. Um... I have guy getting pulled into darkness. Do you remember that scene? Some of the scenes of the people getting pulled oh, away, yeah, the orderly, and like being dragged and the stuff. The was, yeah. We're all were pretty cool. I, I like gotta that. say, uh, I've been in a couple old folks' homes. They're all way more well lit than this one was. Yeah, but this is the X Files. Oh, and then do you remember the huge flood scene? The like drowning water scene. Oh wow! What the I hell? mean, very impressive. That was a lot of water. So much water. The, yeah, the ghost, the ghost trap uh, um, Mulder and the woman, the nurse, into a small bathroom and then proceed to flood it just by like basically turning on a bathtub. Well, yes. And they, I read the, um, 
they said uh, that uh, the um, in the production notes mm-hmm. that that was a really really hard scene to I film. It was. And they said filming the episode was difficult, largely due to the fact that the script arrived only two days in advance of filming. So oh my God. suddenly they were really like, "Wait, we have to do what? How much water?" Have you ever seen a scene where a door breaks away, like something that's being flooded, and then the door finally breaks, like the dam breaks? Have you ever seen that not be in slow motion? In the X Files, there's a lot of slow motion. (laughs) Yes, and their slow motion is weird. Their slow motion is even slower. It feels like it jumps frames. It's '90s slow motion for sure. It's like (laughs) it's like Soundgarden video slow motion. Yeah. Exactly. Some people at home are laughing <laughs> like crazy video. at that. <laughs> I would think the people who are into an X-Files podcast would know who the fuck Soundgarden is. Yeah, but you also have to have a pretty intimate knowledge of their videos. I'm thinking... But I think the idea that you've conveyed really well is the idea of the cheesy 90s music video. And it doesn't have to be Soundgarden. I think they'll fill it in I'm with... I'm thinking Rusty Cage. Because in my head, I saw an Amy Grant video. What baby, baby. <laughs> that one. <laughs> any slow-mo i don't know but in my head maybe and if there was that was a poor choice in my head i feel i feel like what is the other amy grant song that was really popular baby baby Mm -hmm. i don't know it was like um my red blood runs true blue because every Uh, heartbeat heartbeat belongs to you. you great Great work. All right. So this is a podcast about the X-Files. Mm-hmm. This is um, checking in on Amy Grant. Oh, the episode ends, by the way. They sent that guy back to Malaysia. They deported him? <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that. That's so yeah, I sad. Think, I think that's what happens. Because he can practice whatever he likes there. Whatever. Yeah, they have no <laughs> rules in law. Go take your mystical mushrooms back to where they came from. The really Orient. appreciate it. Yeah. Um, that's weird. I thought the ending of them like being gone in the head again and it ends on like the empty eyes of an old man i thought that was very sad i i got very upset at that that was a very sad ending yeah yeah that was i thought that was pretty affecting because i do feel like that guy he could he's the only one of all the characters that i saw that probably would do okay continuing to take the alzheimer drug and the ancient chinese he's just getting great at graffiti he's doing great art and uh he doesn't seem tortured by anything let the man have it you know yeah have it yeah um, the weird thing about this is that Mulder obviously is a fucking asshole and stuff. Uh, he he really is. But what he always has is compassion for a person who's wronged. So it, his character is inconsistent in this episode because yeah. that Michelle, the nurse, the yeah. orderly lady, doesn't make sense that Mulder would not believe her and be so dismissive of someone who's been through something so horrible. Maybe they meant for Scully to take more of like a feminist, like ladies stick together kind of stance and that didn't work out or something. Well, that's, this is interesting. So on the message boards, they say, someone says, while watching last night's episode, I thought that Agent Mulder was very skeptical throughout most of the show, more so than usual. Usually, Scully is skeptical and seems to think that Mulder is crazy. Um, they didn't like that. No shit. And then this is the person, I think they're trying to, here, I'm going to read this. I think the writers of this episode were subtly tying in a statement about power and credibility. The report that started the investigation was of a woman reporting a rape. Mulder, as the primary on the case, um, acted uh, much as many male police officers did and do to such a report, with skepticism. Ooh. In this case, it takes a female agent, Scully, to act as the believer. That is why she reviewed the case before Mulder, and she notices the, the spirits watching when Mulder can't. It ties with the episode's theme. The elderly of the home are in much the same situation as their victim. The staff insists the agent's complaint 
are the result of misrepresentation and mental incompetence. A similar tactic was used against a female nurse when the home directors mm. gave MNS a personnel file depicting the employee as a complaining mis misfit. They're both, uh, both nurse and the elderly are, as a whole, are afflicted by the repressive power structure of the home. But th they're saying, uh, I shall show how the, in my next post, I shall show how the X-Files as a whole demonstrate the alienation of the loom of the lump proletariat i don't know they're making some in their next shirt. post that gives me something to look forward to well, that's a joke though oh. but i think but i think what this so i think they're right in the me i think that they're what they're doing is they're trying to spin a more sophisticated message than the episode actually conveys which i think by the way if you can create art that people can make a more sophisticated message than you intended good for you i don't i think because that's a that's the major thing that people talk about on yeah. the message board about this episode is they're like, that's crazy that he just denies a rape claim. And then people are saying, no, it's a commentary on how that's how society treats a lot of women who have been through this. But that Mulder. Arm Mulder would never do that. But Mulder would never do that. Yeah. And I don't think the fact that there's no moment when Mulder says I was wrong means that the episode, even if it's trying to do that, doesn't succeed at doing that. Yeah, you gotta that. bring in a you gotta bring in Crycheck for some bullshit like that. Don't have Mulder be the one yeah. that's that dismissive. Um, I understand the commentary and I respect it, but not that the characters you've created aren't like that. But I don't think the commentary is successful because no. I, I and I don't even it's unsuccessful to the point where I don't even know if that's the intent. I don't even know who raped her. Yeah. <laughs> that's very clear, Emily. <laughs> be clear. Um a lot of messages and the people do not like the Mulder porn thing. Uh, people you know are having what? a very negative reaction That's to it. That's such a bummer because I think it makes him so much sexier that he's like a... Yeah, and I like, like that Scully's not judgmental about it. She yeah. just ribs him about it. It's like just a funny, weird, quirky thing. And I would think if you were a lady and have any kind of like, you know, have like a crush on Mulder as a character, you like the idea that he's this like kind of clinical, sterile guy, but he already has shown that he has a penchant for like being emotional and like getting for like... buggery? Well... Yeah, for also buggery. That he's like human. He's not just like this, you know, yeah. robot machine, FBI machine. He's like a human being. Yeah, and I think in a way it kind of plays into his character of, now I'm going to sound negative about people who are into porn, but... You're into porn. Because he's a little, his personal... What? You are. Everybody no. is. Okay. See, if Mulder, <laughs> if you can't talk about it, what is this, I'm the sorry. 90s? <laughs> This is what I'm saying, is that I think if you're showing that he's sort of detached from his personal life, then the fact that rather than having girlfriends, he watches porn sort of fits into that. He's so consumed with his work that if with sex, it's just I porn. I think it just shows he's got vices and he's got um, weaknesses. He's a good dude. I like him. Um, this is another message. This, uh, uh, in the, the production notes I found, it says, one part of the episode that never made the final cut was an extended look at Michelle's love life. That's the... Um, Interesting. In the script, she is explicitly described as a lesbian, and her lover enters her apartment to talk to her. A series creator, Chris Carter, eventually decided to remove the scene because he, f he, he felt it felt gratuitous at that point. Now, this is interesting, because I think the purpose of that was that, like... So she's, she's she really don't like dick. Yes. <laughs> Ghost. Or, so I think, and I think Chris Carter was right. He's like, we don't need this. Yeah, that's like, just completely to unnecessary. Home. Otherwise, rape would be slightly pleasant for you because you already like dick. It's just dick you don't know as well. No, it's, uh, that's, I'm really glad they took that out. That would have made me hate the whole episode. Um, many of the scenes were filmed at Riverview Hospital, a mental health facility. 
located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. While filming at the site, several of the members of the production staff claimed they heard mysterious voices and did not dare to venture into the bowels of the building for fear that the location was haunted. Now, one of your pet peeves is portrayal of mental health places as, as being like haunted or and evil. crazy and, and people who are mentally ill as I being hate it. I really hate it. And, I worked at those places. And it seems like, yeah, you did. Yeah. And it seems like this, the, the, the cast and I doesn't say the cast, but that the crew sort of bought into that thing of it. I get hospitals being creepy and being stuff. Sp- like spooky. I totally get that. Uh, just cause you know, people have died there, but mental illness is nothing to be afraid of. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so, I think we've covered most. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about this episode? No. Um, just someone let me know who raped her. I want to know. I just want to know which one it was. <laughs> Great. Uh, we do a podcast together <laughs> called The Indoor Kids. That's about video games. Yeah. And you other are- stuff. A lot of this stuff. We do a lot of social commentary lately on both podcasts. Yeah. We're just in a place. We got to get out of that. Get back to dick jokes. At the, I think you also did some dick jokes on this episode. Probably true. Um, I'm at the Gynamite, T-H-E-G-Y-N-M-O-T. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'll do it. T-H-E-G-Y-N-O-M-I-T-E. This has happened to me a lot lately. I'll go to spell my own Twitter handle. It's a tough one. Can't do it. It's tough to spell just by saying it out loud. Yeah. That's um, why, I'm yeah. At Kamel and at X-Files Files. Uh, email me at thexfilesfiles at gmail.com. Uh, you guys are rocket scientists good night all right so um we are halfway through the episode and i wanted to mention again that this episode is brought to you by squarespace the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website portfolio and online store for a free trial and 10 percent off visit squarespace.com and enter offer code xfiles files at checkout a better web starts with your website um uh, you know, the, the Squarespace stuff is really easy to use. Uh, uh, they have, like, a lot of great designs. You can just drag and st- drop stuff on there. There's great tech support. Like, for instance, the last day, um, I didn't have any power at my house. And I was trying to call the Los Angeles uh, Power Department, and it was a real nightmare. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't talk to an actual real human being. Well... You, you understand the frustration of that when there's a corporation that won't treat you like a person and all you want is to be like, hey, do you guys do you guys hear me? Do you understand? I'm a person. Why don't you be a person? Well, Squarespace is full of people. You can do live chat, live email. Um, well, not live email, but you email the email you back. But there's live chat and there's actual people located in New York, Dublin, Portland. They have 24-7 support. So my power went out yesterday at 9 p.m. Their helpline closes at 7 p.m. So guess what? I had no help. So, but you know who does have help 24-7? Squarespace. Uh, See, I'm using stuff that's actually going on in my life. Uh, Plans start at $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which, of course, if you're going to get a website, you're going to have a website for at least a year, right? Um, Responsive design. uh, And every site comes with an online store. And I know I've mentioned many times my HBO show, Silicon Valley, used this show uh, used uh, Squarespace to make their website. Um, well, I have an update, and that is that t- uh, today we had the table read of the next season, the first table read of the next season of Silicon Valley. We did. Uh, we read two episodes. We read the first two. Um, really, really good stuff, guys. It's um, It was really exciting to be in a room with all those guys again and sort of playing those parts again. And there's a lot of, like, fun, big, surprising stuff that's happening, and it just 
made me really, really excited for um, the future of Silicon Valley. It'll come back next year, and you know, uh, starting in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing that uh, through February. Um, but uh, the uh, you know, you're going to see the further adventures of Pied Piper, a website made by Squarespace. So I'll say this. If you tweet at me uh, a question about Silicon Valley, I will respond and just add Squarespace in it um, or hashtag them. Uh, you can start a trial with no credit card required. Start building your website today. You can start it right as you sign up without a credit card. When does that ever happen? Never. Uh, and when you sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code XFILESFILES to get 10% off your first purchase. And that's how you support uh, this show. Uh, and uh, I just want to thank Squarespace for the support of X-Files Files. Um, they're fantastic. Squarespace, better websites for all. Every once in a while, I'll just look just to make sure it's rolling. Yeah. Still. All right. You going? It is your comms. Yes. Sir. Hey, welcome to the X-Files Files. I'm your host, Kamel Nanjiani. Very excited about our guest today, Kevin Smith. How are you, sir? Good, dude. Thanks so much for doing this. We are at my place. We're at the, where we record all the Dopey Smodcast podcasts and whatnot. So we're in my house so I could smoke. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going to talk files, bitch. Yeah. Oh, I want to be of, blazed. Dude, I, as soon as I started this podcast, everybody was like, Kevin Smith is a huge, you, your dog's in a Mulder and Scully. This dog sitting right next to me uh, on the floor here in the room. That is Mulder himself. That's Mulder. We had a Scully and Mulder. Long story short, we uh, back back when uh, I first met my wife, um, she was a journalist at USA Today, and she interviewed me, and we kind of hit it off rather well, and then we wound up um, hooking up, and then she moved out to New York to go work at MTV, and then she wound up moving to Jersey to live with me. Everything very fucking fast, yeah. and I barely knew this chick. So one day, all of a sudden, she's like, I'm pregnant, and I'm like, oh, Oh, man, fucking, I don't know. I, I would love to have a kid, but I don't know if we'll be good at this sort of thing. Let's get a dog to see if we... If, if, <laughs> if we if fuck we can, up the dog. Yeah, if we can yeah. handle the dog, maybe we can handle a kid. So we went and got a dog, and I'd never bought a dog in my life. We were cat people, and cats are generally free. They just come to your house. Oh, yeah. So the dog, I walked in with her, and she'd always been a dog person. I went to the mall, Menlo Park Mall, and uh, they, there was a pet store, and we were like, a yellow lab. She's like, kids are good with... The yellow labs are good with kids. So we went looking for this fucking yellow lab, man. We get to the store. They have, I was like, do you have a yellow lab? They said, yeah, right there. And there was this dog that was squeezed into a fucking cage. Oh, Looked like it had shit. been a puppy, but everyone was like, I don't want that fucking dog. And it just stayed and stayed oh. and stayed. And it was like McGill Gorilla, dude. It's like you could see the markdown <laughs> tag on the cage. It was like started as 1200, <laughs> fucking 1000, kept going to sale dog. So my heart went out to her right away. I was like, oh shit, this is the me of dogs. So we got that dog. 600 bucks and that fucking like outraged me because I'm like are you fucking shitting me they throw these things away they, yeah. they burn them and no suffocate them no one wants them. this dog yeah. yes it's like crazy we can go get 90 free yeah and, and wouldn't have to pay one fucking cent and shit so you know but it was a new relationship but I want to seem cheap <laughs> so I was like let's buy a dog and that was Scully we were both Jen and I were massive X-Files fans when I met her at U U when she was working at USA Today um, we were, I was talking about like uh, what do you watch what TV do you watch and then she was like oh I love the X-Files I was like fucking really X-Files and I was like I I'm, I'm a huge X-Files fan She's not bigger than me. I said, well, how big are you? And she whips out her wallet, dude. And there's a photo, like, from a magazine of David Duchovny in his underwear doing the baby, happy baby, where you hold your feet. And I've seen that. So I've she had that, that fucking picture in her wallet. And I'm like, do you know him? And she's like, oh, I took it out of a magazine. And I was no. like, that's unsettling. Knowing him and then knowing him well enough to be like, hey, I have a great idea for a picture. <laughs> yeah. That's a big step. Roll on your ass. So she, uh, she was a fan. And so when we got the dog... 
his girl dog. We said, let's name her Scully. So and X Files was on at this time. X Files was. I'm trying to think. Let me see. Well, we got together in '99, '98, '99. Oh, so yes. they were coming yeah. to the tail end of of the team. So after run, the movie, yeah. After the flick. <laughs> so you know, and there wasn't a whole bunch of fuck this show yet. It was still kind of like people dug it and whatnot. Yeah. And I didn't care. Even to the end, I liked that show. And there were a bunch of people jump ship, but she liked it as well. So we had that. We bonded over that. So we had this dog Scully, and she's you know. No, she's a mall dog, $600 mall dog, dude. And you, you get what you fucking pay for. And this dog's like, and constantly in our grill. And so after a week, we were like, let's get another dog to keep this dog company. Cause this dog's too fucking needy. I don't want to hang out with the dog. And so we went and bought a boy dog and that was Mulder. Now Mulder, we went to like a real place, like where they breed dogs, yeah. champion dogs or whatever the fuck. And, uh, the $600 dog, I was like, all right, fucking, I'll handle another $600 dog. We get there. They're all puppies. They're gorgeous. Uh-huh. They're fucking free range puppies and yeah. shit. Just organic as fuck. And she picks up one, my, my wife to be later on. She became my wife at this point. She's a girl. I'm fucking. So she picks up this dog and she's like, Oh my God, I love this dog. This is the one. So I bring up to the counter. I'm like, all right, man, we'll take this. And they're like 4,000 bucks. Whoa. Like, what the fuck? Like, are you serious? Like, what, does this dog give head? And so, you know, <laughs> I've I, already got someone for that. I, yeah, look at her. What do you think I need to talk? And I looked at her and like, I didn't want, again, new relationship. Yeah. And she's pregnant with my kid and I don't want to be like, we're not paying $4,000 for a fucking dog. So I was like, all right. And I fucking committed to buy the dog. And it was the biggest purchase I think I'd made in my life at that point outside That's, of a car. I mean, other than a car, what are you going to spend that on? An engagement crazy. ring, which was next. And that was more. So I wish I'd given her the dog to wear in her fucking hand. <laughs> yeah. Two birds, one stone. But I will tell you this, dude, that dog, the four thousand dollar dog molder like you get what you pay for that dog has been he's let me see harley's 15 so he's 16 he shouldn't even be here man his back legs don't work but he's still fucking ticking the dog was so smart so well bred and shit like that he wrote like my last five scripts which explained <laughs> a lot of things he's so talented for that money like uh, years ago i was like four thousand bucks Years later, 15, 16 years in on the investment, you know, he's on the waning side at this point, sadly, but that was a good fucking chunk of change. Oh, like, yeah. I made out on a fucking, he was a good dog, still is. So we had Mulder and Scully in this house the whole time. What are my other X-Files connections? Duchovny at one point was almost in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Oh, he was doing like a little cameo or something? He was going to play the role of Cockknocker that Mark uh-huh. Hamill wound up playing. Because uh-huh. he, I had met him. Off of, uh, I got a call from agent one day and they're like, David Coveney's looking for you. I was like, the fuck out of here. Yeah, get him here. Yeah. I was like, I want to talk to him totally. And we went to eat at the Ivy on the shore and it was because he liked dogma uh-huh. and he had done an episode of the X-Files that he directed that had the, the remember it had the uh, chalice in it, the fucking right. uh, grail or whatever the fuck the or yeah. something. But it was a kind of religious bent episode as well. Um, and it was the Hollywood AD episode. I think that was the one. That's a fun, he did some weird. Well, episodes. he did the baseball episode. I love that, episode. which is great. And the Hollywood AD, and I think Hollywood AD was what made him go like he saw Dogma and he was like, "Holy shit, I want to talk to that guy." So we went out to eat, and he was such a fucking cool guy, really good. He was fun nice. Guy. And I, he's like, "What are you working on? I want to do something, man. That Dogma's brilliant." Yeah. And like, I didn't want to tell him. I was like, "Okay, well, next is like not. It's the opposite of brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like whereas that was bold and adventurous, and, and, and you know, fucking arty. The next one is like just." Well, Fucking shits and giggles, and me and my buddy running around for this one. Yeah, running around with our hands in our pants, bumping into walls. And and, you know, and and I didn't really have anything. He's like, "What is it?" And I said, "Jane." So he's like, "I love Jane." So let me read it. Says okay, and I send him the script, and he called me a day later. 
And uh, I go, hello. And he goes, Kevin, David. I say, hey, man, how are you? And he goes, cock knocker. And I go, oh, that's in the script. He goes, I got to play it. I go, really? And he goes, oh, my God. His name is cock knocker. And he fucking punches people in the dick. I have to play that role. And I was like, done and done. So we came, we saved it for him. But he was working on, um, Ivan Reitman was making a movie at the time. Called oh, yeah. Evolution. Evolution with Orlando Jones. And, and I uh, think Ethan Suplee was in it as well. Oh, Our boy he? Ethan. And, um, what's her name? The, um, Juliana Mark? Not Ju- I forget who the lady Julianne, was. Julianne, what's her name? Julianne Moore, maybe? Julianne Moore was in it, I believe. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. So they were working on that, and that movie went way over schedule, and way over, I, 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 way over schedule. That's all I know. We were supposed yeah. to, he was supposed to be done at a certain point, but all of a sudden he was like, I can't. They've got me started. Oh, that's a bummer. And, but then we wound up getting Mark Hamill, so it was cool. But my other X-Files connection, that was a pleasant one. David Coveney was yeah. cool to meet and shit like that. Um, Jillian Anderson. Uh-oh. 1998, we're sending the script for Dogma out into the world. Harvey Weinstein's like, who do you like? For the lead, for the girl, Bethany. And I was like, I love the X-Files, man. Like, what if we went after Jillian Anderson? Because, you know, she doesn't do a lot of movies. She's on the X-Files and no. shit like that. And I'm like, all right, man, let's send her a script. Send her a script and whatnot. And then, like, got the word back, like, oh, she's busy or something like that. I was like, all right. So a friend of mine worked on the X-Files, like, wound up working on the X-Files. What did he so, do on it? Uh, it was a lady, I can't okay. say. Okay. Because the part of the story begets, <laughs> all right. gets weird. All right, all right. So I was like, hey, man, like, at one point, like, uh, I was like, what is it like? And she's like, it's great. And I was like, all right, what was their chemistry like? Because that was the time where people were like, are they into each other, David and yeah. John, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you know, she she was able to tell me a bunch of stuff. And then she goes, I said, hey, man, so, like, at one point, like, we had sent Jillian Anderson the script for Dogma. She goes, oh, I know that. I said, how'd you know that? She, like, she uh, told me. I was like, how'd, why'd she tell you that? It was years ago. She's like, because knew, we knew each other. And I was like, what'd she say? She's like, she hated that script, Kevin. Really? And I go, really? And she's like, yeah, big time, in a big, bad way. But not like, you know, some people read your shit and go like, oh, I don't like it. But she's like, she hated it, dude. <laughs> because it was years later that she had this conversation with my friend. And even years later, she yeah. was like, oh, I that was gotta, one of the worst fucking scripts I ever read. And she was like, I just got to get back to Kevin. I got to <laughs> let him He's know. He's got to know. Fuck him. He yeah. took two hours of my he, day to read that piece of shit script. Well, you know what? That that kind of makes me actually like her. Like, I mean, I love that movie, mm. but it, I like that if she doesn't like it, she's like, I didn't like that. I mean, look, it's one, I'm fine with it. It's years later. But it's yeah. one thing to be like, I don't like it. It's another thing to be like, like from hell's heart, I fucking stab at thee. I'm going to find somebody who's going to tell you yeah. one day that I didn't like that. She thing. just spent years trying to get the message to you. I went to a, uh, uh, it was Harvey had set it up. There was this Amfar benefit. Um, and this is going back to like 19, this is, I think 97, 98 even. Um, Harvey set it up and, uh, for us to meet Jillian Anderson before we send her the script. So me and Jason Muse go to this Amphar benefit and everybody has to wear tuxes, right? Because yeah. it's a benefit. I don't have a fucking tux. I don't have pants. So we have to go rent, <laughs> we have to go rent tuxes in Los Angeles and we're not from there. I was dating somebody at the time I was out there. So I was back and forth, but me and Muse go rent tuxes and we go to this fucking benefit and Jason Muse brings a camera. This is the days before the cell phone camera where everybody has a camera. Right. He literally brought a 35 millimeter camera with him because he's like, there's going to be fucking famous people there. So that's what I heard. <laughs> and so we went to this fucking benefit and sat at Jillian Anderson's table because Harvey had her sit at his table uh-huh. or something like that. 
So, you know, met her and she was nice. And, she was and nice. Very super sweet. And this is before yeah. she read the script. I'm sure she's still nice, but boy, she didn't like, like that fucking <laughs> script from what I understand. So I tattered with her all night and she was super cool and whatnot. But Muse is just gobsmacked because everywhere you look, there's a fucking famous person. Right. Because it's like a benefit. But again, we now we're living in an age where everyone's got a phone, a camera on them. Right. This is at a point where the only people like cameras are the people who are supposed to be there with cameras. Right. And back in those days, it was like considered bad taste to like bring a camera to an event. You know, these we're just trying to be ourselves. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. 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 So Muse is like, like just whipping out this camera and taking just pictures. taking pictures of famous people. It's fucking astounding. We're on the other side of like the catwalk. And there's like Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson and a bunch of famous people sitting around and whatnot. And there's these two. There's, he took a series of pictures and I, they're on they're on the web somewhere. We had them at the VSQ <laughs> website. If you look up VSQ.com, like uh, Amfarb or AIDS Benefit or Kevin J AIDS Benefit, you'll see these pictures go back to like '97. So. <laughs> there's this picture of like all these famous people talking to each other before the show begins, before the models start coming out. And then Muse snaps a picture with a fucking flash <laughs> in a room where nobody's taking any yeah. pictures. And then the very next picture, cause he Peter Parker's it. He's like, yeah. the very next picture is like a goddamn cartoon is like every fucking famous person turning to be like, what the fuck was that? And looking at fucking Muse holding a camera. He took a picture of me and Michael Keaton. He was like, fucking Batman's here. That was our Batman. Right. So he's like, let's take a picture with Batman. Michael Keaton, very cool, took a picture. He was cool. Very, very cool. And then Muse later on was like, I'm going to the bathroom. He took his camera to the fucking bathroom, which is another faux pas. But he's on his way to the bathroom and fucking Jack Nicholson was there. Oh. So he was like, oh no. So he was just like, Mr. Nicholson, I hate to do this. And Muse is a guy that people are like, oh, I hate to do this. Can I take a picture with you? And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So here he is going like, you know, I'm sure everyone thinks like me and that is yeah. so not the case. Uh oh. So he's like, Mr. Nicholson, like a huge fan. Like, can I take a picture with you? And he goes, no, and walks away. He just said no. And Jason came back to the table. He's like, don't ever work with Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> that wow. was my Jillian Anderson story. Uh, so were you like a, barely a Jillian Anderson No, story. but that's, I mean, and that's the only contact you've had with her was then and mm. then later through. I don't think I ever really was, like saw her again uh, in, in the, in the yeah. world or anything. She's kind of back a bunch. Do you watch Hannibal? Yeah, I mean, she, no, she's on Hannibal? Yeah, she's on Hannibal. She's great on that show. Jillian Anderson's on Hannibal? It's a great show. Isn't yeah. that an NBC show? Yeah. Wasn't there, she also on another NBC show like fucking Earthquake or yeah. Havoc or I don't there's know an that. ambulance, whatever yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I forget what the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said. Ambulance so she was, fire. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, we're worried. Everyone yeah. had very <laughs> exactly, pensive. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So wait, we're that all show, going to die. Yeah, look out. That was the name of the show. They, they all, she was on that billboard, but now she was. I think that show's gone. But and she immediately was, they rolled her into Hannibal? Well, she's been recurring on Hannibal. I think that's how she got the other job. I think she was in that other fucking show that, you know, the British show where she does the accent. But you know, that's how she talks. I saw an interview. She's with got her. that Madonna accent now. I think she's got a little bit of the Madonna Gwyneth Paltrow thing going. But she didn't always have that, right? Like she well, was. I, she I, was. Isn't she Canadian? No, maybe I'm wrong. No, she's. Like, but she's not British. I know that much. Well, she's like either British and then raised here, or born here and then spent. Because I saw her on Conan, and she, she was talking in a British accent the whole time, and I was like, "What the fuck and is going like, on? Are you in character?" So I googled. Is there it. a camera somewhere? Yeah, what is going on? I googled it, and uh, yeah, she has a British accent. But the show is called The Fall. It's a 
serial killer show. My, my old lady loves it, man. She was like, oh my God, it's fantastic. It's and a then brutal fucking show. People dug it and then they were like, when's the next season? They're like, three years from now, yeah. motherfucker. And the story does not end. Like, it's not like, all right, let's watch, you know, oh, this story's over. Let's go to the next one. It's like halfway. Like it ends on a to be continued and then the next episode is three years later. It's I brutal. Thought, but I thought the, like, she stopped doing it because she's like, I got these other things to do. And I know that back. sucks, but the story's not over. It's like, and that was, but was the other thing she had to do that emergency show with the ambulance on the billboard, whatever I, the fuck it was called. I think she came to do then Hannibal, then she's been doing Hannibal, and then from that she did the emergency fire. So show. So she did Hannibal first, the emergency fire show. We couldn't yeah. be bothered to learn. I don't know what the fuck this is. Julian Anderson in emergency fire show. But Hannibal's good. She plays his therapist. Oh yeah, yeah, which is great. Which is great. She's great. So were you like a fan of the X-Files in the beginning, like when it first came out? Not first season. I joined up for the X-Files. This is, all this is going to sound so terribly name-droppy, but everything is connected of course. in this world. But I started watching. I was going out with this actress um, who was in uh, Mallrats, Tuesday with Joey Adams. And she was shooting this TV show called Second Noah in Tampa, Florida. And I flew out to see her. You did it, Joey Lauren Adams? Yeah, the girl from Chasing Game. No, I know who she is. I had a huge crush on her. Oh, so did I. Her voice. Yeah. Well, except you got to date her. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I guess there's that. Well, I mean, more than that, I mean, date her. Like, the, we, that relationship benefit, other than like, oh my God, like, she's so pretty and shit like that. So pretty. Um, like, that resulted in, in, in Chasing Amy, like, one of the finest piece of art. I've ever produced came from that relationship. I had a Chasing Amy poster in college. Did you really? Yeah, my, I had an X Files poster and a Chasing Amy poster. That's so weird. True. Side by side. Fucking true. Um, she, yeah, she's when I was I went to see her in Tampa. She was working on this TV show. And I get in the cab at the airport and I was like talking to the driver. I said, "What's Tampa like?" He goes, "Murder capital of the world." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit!" So I decided to stay in the hotel and wait for her because she was like off shooting off 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 site or whatever. So I was home and I did. I remember I talked to Affleck because I was that was the night that I was like, "Hey man, I'm writing this part. Like, would you?" mind playing a lead because he hadn't done that at that point would you mind playing a lead <laughs> but it was still it was like yeah but i mean it's it, this was 1996 so if you go to a, a fucking 23 25 year old actor in 1996 but you want to play the lead in a, in a movie where you kiss a dude and fucking you know a lesbian uh -huh. uh, you have a breakdown with a lesbian relationship some cats might have been like nah. Because, again, it was like the mid-90s. Affleck, on the other hand, was just like, oh, my God, I'll fucking kiss a thousand dudes to play a lead. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> but, but he was very bold. Like, there was a school of actors then, too, who were just like... You know, fucking, all right, kissing a dude, man. That's the ultimate actor's challenge. Right. I know there was Will Smith did it in the movie. And it was <laughs> yes. like, I'm a good actor now. Yes. There was a bunch. Yeah. They would run news yeah. articles. Jack Lemon never kissed a dude. Yes. Newsmen, yeah. they're like, fucking, do you talk to Lawrence Olivier? When did he kiss a man on <laughs> exactly. camera? Never. This is the new fucking wall. We broke it through. <laughs> so, uh, he, so I called him. I remember talking to him going like, Hey, man, I'm writing this thing you want to do. He's like, Oh my God, totally. So when that phone conversation was over, I had nothing to do in the room. Uh, this is in the days before. Uh, fucking laptops where everybody is 1996 oh, or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I couldn't get on the internet. I think I got a laptop, but I couldn't get online. Would have been dial up through the fucking hotel and getting on dial up through a hotel back in the day was paying the dick because you have to dial nine to get out and fucking. <laughs> There's a lot. A lot of kids today, they're like, why? They don't realize that like there was a time where we what? lived like savages. Yeah. <laughs> eating fucking feet like we were lost in the Andes or there something. There are countries just to get in online. the world that still don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> 
kids are starving. Yeah, and they're, and they're probably using dial-up. Like yeah. Oh, <laughs> you get food? That fucking sound? The fax sound? Yeah. Oh. They're like, oh, oh it brutal. never gets better out here, does it? So I, I'm sitting in the room, and I turn on the TV, and I was familiar with the X-Files because I'd read, like, there was an Entertainment Weekly cover story, either season two or season three, where there was enough heat beyond the show where they kind of reviewed the entire previous season and then hyped the next season. So I was familiar with uh, it. I read some of the, the episode overview and I was like, that sounds fucking it sounds cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it sounds dope. So there I was in the hotel and it was on and sadly it was not like the greatest X-Files episode. Do you remember which one it was? Yeah, man, it was the one that began, is it maybe the blessing way? Does that begin with the Native Americans? Yeah. I, I don't know if that's the one, but I know which one you're talking about. So that's slow going. There's a whole Native American alien arc mm-hmm. that is a little, I don't know, a little wrong-footed. It's, it's, I wouldn't even go wrong-footed. It's just, it's so deep in the X-Files oh, mythology yes. that if you're just jumping on then, yeah. you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Is this, yeah. And so it would have been better if I'd happened onto a standalone um, maybe one that, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, like Home would have been great. Or uh, Clive Buckman's Final Repose. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. Um, or, you know, or, uh, I, I love the, the, um, hate him, hate him, wouldn't want to date him with the Ryan Reynolds episode. The, they're, they're all the school kids, the two girls are witches. They've got the, they're not witches, but they've oh, got yeah. telekinetic power. I, I forget what that one's called, but yeah, that one's like, uh, what, like the planets are aligned yes. or something. Yeah, where they, where they, they, they played the end joke of like, people are like, he's always driving on a fucking show. <laughs> and so they did, or vice versa. And so they did an in joke about her driving, and he's That's like, you right. know, your little feet can't fit, fit, fit the pedals. Or That's whatever. right. Um, so if it was one of those, that probably would have been it would have latched me in sooner. But it was that one. I remember watching it and watching the whole episode and being like, I'm fucking lost. And then I didn't watch it again for about four months. And then I got, I think, a DVD box set. I started watching it. Uh, kids, DVDs are these things we used to pre pre Netflix. We used to have to watch. You could actually on touch media. <laughs> You could break it. Hands. Yeah, you can put it in your hands. Now everything is ethereal. <laughs> Everything's in the cloud. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, Halcyon days, kids. And I, I watched the whole first season and was like, oh shit, I'm in. And yeah. you know, it took me around. I was like, this is like the Night Stalker, which I remember that's what. Oh, you like the, you like the Night Stalker. That was one of those shows that like would, you know, pre-cable, it would air every once in a while. They put it into a late night rotation. Yeah. And you're like, holy fuck, this is, a, this is about monsters. And yeah. When you were a kid, it captured your imagination. So I fell in love with it off the box set, man, and then got way fucking deep into it and started watching them all and whatnot. But, and then oddly enough, it was the thing over which my wife and I bonded. Yeah. Like she had gone, she'd interviewed Duchovny. Like she geeked out about that shit and she's not really geeky about much, but X-Files was her fucking jam. Well, that was what was great about about the show is that it is in a way it's hard sci-fi, but not so hard that it won't. You know, you can get into it. Even mm-hmm. if you're not into sci-fi, it, that's a show that made sci-fi like kind of palatable to the masses. Like, like Star Trek. People fucking love Star Trek, but well, that, some people love Star Trek. Yeah, but and that some looks people, like sci-fi. You know what I mean? And some people can group, like I love the movies and the TV show, the old classic TV show. That's my favorite. That's not my jam. See, I'll watch every one of the movies, but like the TV show, I'm like, Whoa, oh, that's too much for you. Move it along. You See, know, I'm you gotta, a dialogue guy too. That's a, that's a thing you got to get by. The it reminds bright me of green laser. Well, not even that. It's just like there's some shit like, you know, McDonald's will always taste like a happy childhood. Star Trek will always (laughs) Star Trek. The TV show will always feel like um, 
a, a world without cable TV. Yeah. Because I remember like having four channels. I and like, okay, mean. what's on? Fucking Star Trek. Yeah. And I'm nine. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. That's, like, I've seen Star Wars now. Yeah. Fucking, if you're going to put We've Star in something, fuck yeah. Treks, let's go to war. Yeah, that's why. That's how my wife feels about MASH. She's like, I can't ever watch MASH. Yeah. It looks like the colors are sadness. Everything, yes. It's just, it's just sad. Begin, and the music begins like, Dun-dun. Yeah, Suicide is Painless is the name of the song. <laughs> yeah, they're like, please, stay this, tuned. This is a comedy. How they sell ads for that fucking show? <laughs> they had no choice. There were four shows on. Uh, <laughs> four shows. Yeah, but but that's what I like about the X-Files is that there's there it still looks pretty good. You know, they're going to release. It still holds up. Yeah, it still really holds I've up. I've watched them recently. Every once in a while, like when I'm uh, cruising Netflix at night and if I'm uh, like my, my go to sleep show is Frasier, I put that on and go to sleep. Is that right? It's just so soothing. And not because it's boring. It's just like everyone's so good at their jobs in the show. I'm going to go to sleep. That's Matt Myra's favorite show. Really? Yeah. Frasier? He wants to start a podcast about Frasier. Sh- oh my God. Come to call me. <laughs> I, I can do. I've seen every fucking episode over and over again. But it, again, it's and I can't. I would never be so bold to be like, I'm a huge Frasier fan, but like, I respect it so much because I'm like, God damn it. Everyone was firing on all fucking cylinders. Oh yeah. Every now and then, especially with comedies as a show, that's like, this isn't groundbreaking, but it's well done. And that was a show too that I, you know, when, when I was popular, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. So I was probably one of those assholes. It was like, people like it, then I'll hate it. Fuck it. Yeah. It must be if it's fucking mainstream, keep yeah. it good and shit like that. And then years later, I watched it. I was like, God damn it. That's how I feel about good. everybody loves Raymond where you watch it and you're like, oh, this show's pretty dark. Yes. yes. That's a well done. And for years, I was like, come on. It's a yeah. fucking tepid family thing. And then, like, I remember my wife started watching that show. Like, she put it on as background noises. She did shit during the day. And then, you know, like, when you hear them go, like, it's not about the kids. I'm like, all right, that's interesting. That's a, it's a novel approach. Like, they've yeah. got kids, but they don't show them. And then when you watch the show, it is actually really well done. You're yeah. Like, no wonder this was so and fucking Peter popular. Boyle is amazing in Yes. It. Yeah. Clyde Bruckman himself. Clyde Bruckman himself. What that's- is your favorite X-Files moment? I got to say... That moment. I'm not even gonna say episode because a moment. Yeah. And an ep- and favorite moment, favorite episode could be two different things. I like. I, I, well, we're talking about Clyde Bruckman. I love the moment where he's describing where he sees his own death, and right. it's the CG thing of like him just withering, and there's worms crawling out of his eyes, and then he does. He's done, and he's like, "All right, good night." Mulder's just uh, laying there. My and favorite then, moment from that episode is when he goes, um, um. Who lives their life like this? What does she do? Wake up one day and say, I know. Dolls. dolls. <laughs> Wake up one day and go, I also, know. He's like, dolls. Uh, the, uh, so fucking funny. That's such a funny line. Such and, a brilliant And episode. so true. I still use that line in, in life. Like yeah. whenever we're somewhere with the wife and we see somebody that is overly committed to a thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, who does this? Just, I know. Dolls. It's just that thing of like, your life must be so empty that you're like, I gotta go find something. <laughs> a hobby. That'll keep yeah. me alive. I also love the one where she finally asked Scully finally asked him like how do you how do I die and he's like don't you get it you don't I was amazing that's a fucking great line that was so and also it's like something that like they never touched on ever again and mm-hmm. but you could literally you know every once in a while they're like we're gonna make another movie and stuff they should probably stop making movies for the theaters and just make fucking TV movies if I was them if I, I was know. Chris Carter I'd just make fucking five, one one a year an X-Files movie for FX it would crush it would crush or you could do it like 24 Jade with a mini series yes do like fuck six going six to the episodes. movie theater because yeah. it's just like that they did that in the midst of the run of the show and it was fairly successful I think they made 80 million bucks for that movie oh yeah it did 
pretty well. It's not nearly as good as the TV show itself. No. Well, it's got a tough thing because it's got to tie in the big story. That's mm. the hardest entry point for a new person. No kidding. You but it still do that. made a bunch of money. It did well. The second was, one, nobody even knew it was coming or anything like that. Yeah. It feels like it. don't, don't, and, and now it'd be like 20 years later, don't fucking set yourself up for a challenge by being like, let's try to get them to come out in the theaters. No. Like, put it in their fucking homes. It's put it on Netflix. Crush. It would crush. Oh, put it on it a bunch crush. of billboards. Who wouldn't watch it? Um, another scene I really love in that one, uh, in Clyde Bruckman, one of my favorite episodes, maybe my favorite, is the one where he's talking about <laughs> where uh, he's telling Mulder what happens and Mulder steps in the pie and he's like, I can't tell what kind of pie it is. And Mulder's like, who cares? Tell me what happens. And so he's telling the story and he's like, there's a guy behind you and he's got a gun pointed at your head and... Banana I, cream. Banana cream. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Banana cream. <laughs> or the uh, or when he's just like, um, all I'm saying is autoerotic asphyxiation. It's a terrible, is a terrible, way, terrible to go. way to go. <laughs> like, why are you telling me that? Oh, that's so funny. Is but that he canon? was so lovable, man. Like Peter Boyle was. Uh, I think he won an Emmy off. He of did that win role. an Emmy off that. Yeah. But it was, and that was right before Raymond, right? Like that probably that was, was the show that Raymond. put him on to Raymond, where they're like, this guy's fucking great. When he died, you know, that was what made. Me saddest was thinking in about, the episode or in real life. In real life, yeah. when he dies, and the way and he, in the episode as well, it's a real bummer the way he goes. But she gets to keep Queequeg, yeah, the dog. He sticks around for a little bit, for a little bit until the Loch Ness monster episode. Yes, isn't? yeah, there's like the, the water guy. The the, the I yeah. love that episode. I love what's the writer of that episode. He was the rock star of that show. Uh, I want to say it was Darren. Darren Morgan. Morgan. I've been emailing with them. He, he wrote that. He wrote He's the episode of Millennium where the demons sit around and talk to each other. I never other. saw Millennium. That episode I watched because they, he was, you know, I'm the, I'm a, I'm a writer whore. So like you find a writer who writes some oh, episodes yeah. you like, you find, find all this shit. They went to Millennium, wrote this episode where these demons all like sat around and had this like conversation. It was a pretty good episode. Is it, is it like that? You know, have you seen the Batman, the animated series episode where oh, all the almost Bat- got him? Yeah. It's something like that, but it has nothing to do with, it's not so much that. But yeah. It was just a very cool, but he also, wait, he did Clyde Bruckman. Oh, and he did from Jose Chung's from He did Jose Space. Chung. He did Clyde Bruckman. And he also he did, did the, the the skinny tombs or something like that. One of the creepy No, ones. his brother did that one. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Glenn Morgan and Darren Morgan are brothers. Mm. He, a couple weird more Oh, things. he did the circus one. Uh, humbug. Humbug, that's it. He did Humbug. And he I did like th- Humbug, but not as much as those other two. That those was his first one. Genius. And War of the Caprophages. War, that's War of the, the, yeah. The cockroaches. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he is in the fluke man suit in the the the, the host. He's the guy. He's, he's the, the guy. Fluke man. And in, I think it's season six. There's an episode called Small Potatoes, mm-hmm. where there's the guy who can change his appearance. He's got a little tail. He can't change. Yeah, his yeah, tail. yeah, yeah. That's he, that is him. I remember that. Well, during that run, that's Darren Morgan. He, yeah, yeah. He was the guy. Is that the same episode where he's like he? She said his name was Luke Skywalker. That's right. And I came think from the sky. Yeah, had sex with me. I think his name was Luke Skywalker. Is it that one or Jose Chung? Which one is that? I'm, I can't yeah. remember. Jose Chung though. Fucking another brilliant episode. Yeah, that one. That's Swamp. That, yeah, you saw. Swamp gas reflected. You saw Venus. That's a pretty what, good. What was it? It was like you saw swamp glass, swamp gas with a reflection of Venus. That's a great. That's a pretty good Jesse Ventura. I like that. I think I like the joke in that where they're like uh, Men in Black. Uh, it's it's going to be Alex. And that Trebek. was before Men in Black too. Yes, before, before the movie Men in ever Black. came out. Yeah. yeah, they made. They, I mean, of course, it had been in popular culture or underground culture, but yeah. in terms of mainstream media, that's one of the first yeah. like, representations. And it's Alex Trebek and Jesse Ventura. It's like, who's going to believe that? Mm. Like, yeah, the Venom Black came. I saw fucking aliens. It was Alex Trebek. Uh, right. <laughs> Jesse 
the Bonnie Ventura. I remember the, the guy that was jokes. just like, what the bleep and bleep and bleep. Yeah, that's right. That was right. fun. And also the other, the guy, when uh, Mulder walks into the shot and he's like, Mulder was startled. And he's like, ah! <laughs> that weird scream, yeah. There's another, A Bad Blood is a great one where they do a lot of that kind of stuff where... Uh, What's you, that episode? That's the one where it's Luke Wilson. Mm-hmm. And it's told from uh, Mulder's perspective and Scully's perspective. It's a vampire episode. And that, uh, yeah. whenever Scully talks about him, he's hot. But when Mulder talks about him, he's got like terrible teeth. <laughs> and he's like a doofus in his version. Yeah, yeah. Um, another great moment I love. I love the funny moments, you know, where uh, home where they go into the house and it's all fucking creepy. And he crawls in there like, you know, they make their way in. And Mulder's like, oh, no. And she's like, what? And he holds up a newspaper. It says Elvis is dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's a my all-time favorite moment. <coughs> Not my favorite episode by any stretch of the imagination, but my favorite moment is in the black and white episode, the modern, the postmodern Prometheus. Yeah, when they dance at the end of the oh, club. beautiful. That is hands down. That is how I always remember the X Files, where they they take the fucking kid, the monster kid, or whatever, <coughs> to go see Cher. Yeah, they tried to get share. It was going to be share. Didn't, didn't, didn't work, work out. out. But it's still, it's almost better. <laughs> it didn't work out the way they did it because I love that snap zoom. The dude's fucking rocking to walking in yeah. Memphis. Yeah, the best one of the best Bad moments ass. television. Mulder gets up and then fucking like offers his hand, throws his head back coquettishly, and offers yeah. his hand to Scully. And she smiles and they fucking dance. So. So beautiful. There's another great. That's that's a fucking great episode. Yeah. That's when they, when it was really singing. Is they were so like that they had knew the what the show was. Where he was just like, I don't like this, Scully. It's not supposed to end like this. Yeah. And then they had the storybook ending. And stuff. Yeah. They framed it like a comic book. Ah. Oh. When they were like, we know what the show is. Now let's do some things that the show isn't. And they just like went off and did crazy shit. And that was one of the first mainstream shows I feel, and I'm probably wrong, and I'm sure there's a zillion people on the internet to be like, you fucking suck and you're wrong and your movies blow. But that being said, that was one of the first shows that I thought of that would be like, oh, we listened to the fan base. Yeah. Like we're engaged with the fan base. Um, not so much like we talking back and forth, but they did stuff for the fans, for the people that watched the show religiously because they knew they had an audience that was kind of insanely passionate and detail-oriented about the show. So that's commonplace now. Well, they named characters after like people who would comment on the message boards. Did they really? See, that's what I'm talking about. They named characters after those guys. Another great one that this reminds me of, there's another great episode. I believe it's called The Rain King. It's a small town. It's this... It's with Victoria Jackson in the episode. I I believe, yes. She's the woman. It's, and the, it's, it rains, uh, it's, like she cries, he cries, or she he, cries. Or yeah. Or, and it, it's it sort of about unrequited tears. love. Yes. And then they finally figure it out. And the ending scene is them watching finally the two lovers. They're, they're finally dancing together. And Mulder and Scully are just watching it. And this is the big moment where they're like, will they, won't they? You right. really, I kind of at that point really wanted them to get together. It's been six years. Uh, and they're just kind of like swaying to the music together. And they're like, oh, these two are so in sync. They're like, they're not facing each other and dancing together, right. but they're dancing together. And it's almost like, oh, I like them as a couple this way. Yeah. They don't need to do anything more than that. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, let me see. What else do I fucking love? The, um, oh, I was just thinking about while you were talking, there was an episode that was like one of my all time fucking favorites. And, oh, uh, when they switched, um, 
Michael Michael McKean, McKean and, yeah. and Mulder switch bodies. Yeah, that's a two-parter. A two-parter. And then they played with the fucking waterbed like episodes <laughs> later. <laughs> where, oh, it was the episode with uh, the fucking time Monday. jump. Yes. yes oh, the, which is one of the greatest the episodes. The Groundhog Day episode. And it's what's-her-face. It's uh, I think it's Carol Burnett's daughter is the girl. Are you really? If I remember correctly, I think her name. I want to say her name's Carrie Otis. I, if I, I think she was on Fame because I remember watching that episode oh. and being like, "Oh, that's that girl from Fame." I think maybe I'm fucking stoner synapses are crossing, <laughs> but that episode, I, I fuck. And the the dude in it was the dude who was on Northern Exposure at one point. Oh, guy who's like in, in Monday. I never yeah, watched. Yeah. I never watched that show. Oh, that show's good. I really? Go back and take a peek. It's it it too. I mean, it's not X Files, of course. It's right. A little more supernatural, but that was an insanely quirky show that had its own vibe to it. As yeah, well. I never saw that. Not show. Not cookie cutter at all. But Monday's a great episode. Monday is yeah. fantastic. But you were talking about Michael McKean. Yeah, the waterbed thing. That pay, yeah. They paid off the waterbed in that episode. But that those episodes where they did the like the band, the whip, and they changed bodies and shit. Yeah, they, I love that art. They do like the dance in the mirror together, yes. right? Isn't that that episode? That's a fucking great episode, too. Yeah. No. I feel bad because we fuck with your structure because we just jump it around. Oh, no, no, no. no. This is Don't totally you good. Do episode by episode? I go episode by episode, but I also do bonus episodes. I did one with Mark Snow. Right on. Who did the oh, music. Yeah, yeah. Who I just talked to for 45 minutes about how he came up with this. He was so fucking cool, dude. Was he cool? I. Did you ever get laid to that music? Did you ever just pop it on? No. Did you? No, but. I come too fast. Yeah, right? You're like, I can't make it to I almost cried when I talked to him. Really? Just later, like thinking about all the stuff he was saying, like it really, talking to him really affected me. Like it got in my head and it like kind of fucked with me in a good way for a long time because I was like. you also do the music for Twin Peaks as well? I don't know. No, that's Angelo Battlemente. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. The, the guy who did all the westerns and stuff. He did. He did. He's done a bunch of music, and I want to know if I'm right about that. I think I'm right. Go ahead. Battlemente. Yeah, I'm just putting, I think a, you're I'm right. putting a pin in in case motherfuckers like you're fucking wrong, and this is why cop out. I mean, this is, is the world sure. where we are. Where if you say one, th- you're like, I hope that's right. Otherwise, <laughs> I know. Otherwise, that's going like, to be a rough day on Twitter. Do you know what this dick said? Uh, a rough day on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. There's one. Oh, maybe we'll ever take this out but jonah was at a party uh djing Uh-oh. and joss whedon was there i don't know joss but jonah and joss kind of know each other and so joss was like hey play this music and jonah as a joke to him was like uh yeah i'm playing good music good music is not music that can be danced to by girls <laughs> which is funny he said it as a joke so joss kind of tweeted at him and said like hey this is what jonah Ray said to me and jonah said I had to uninstall Twitter from my phone because it was, he was blown up with people it, being, fuck you. It was just because he's got millions of followers. Uh, and then Jonah, oh, God. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know why. People love to hate on Jonah on the internet. <laughs> Do they really? Yeah. I don't Dude, get it. Fucking Jonah get in line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. You want yeah. to talk about people getting hated on the internet for no apparent reason. I, I, I've, I've seen a few cats and I've been on that list myself. Well, I mean, I think when you're, you know, cause you are so transparent in a good way, like people know you, they know who you are. You're very accessible. So they know they can get to you, but it's also just, but yeah, but knowing you could get to a person is one thing. I mean, shit, I know, I know I can get to the fucking president. Like if I get 10,000, yeah, but you're not one of those guys, you know, but what creates that mindset? That always blows me away. Like, here's Jonah, who is like one of one of uh, us or them, if you will, in terms of like 
Jonah is not like uh, two to man or born. No, he's a dude who worked his his yeah. way into a fucking place where he's like, I get to be fucking who I want. Yeah. I get to be. I get to make jokes and blah blah blah. And then fucking, you know, because Joss Whedon's like, he said, he said something about music. Motherfucker has to take random shit from a bunch of strangers. I think, I mean, you know, obviously these people, you've made a whole movie about it, but these people are people who don't have like control in their lives. So they're trying to exercise control in whatever way they can. And if that's to, you know, mm. ruin the day of someone who's, who's more well known than them, it's that's crazy. Something. It'll always blow my mind because it's like the secret kids to fucking, you could either sit there and like, poke at people who are doing something or you can spend your time instead of poking going to do something yeah and then you will get poked yeah by somebody being like oh, i fucking hate you because you're doing something that's it all these people aren't fucking like super winners in life and shit they just tried yeah that's the only difference yeah so try Maybe. try if yeah. Instead of fucking attacking, try it. Just, I mean, I don't know. I've been doing this 20 years. It just blows my mind. Like, I don't know how many times I can say it. Like, the amount of effort that you put in the same way people say to me like fucking if you got off your ass now and start exercising for six months you would be in shape and i'm like yeah i should do that and then i don't do it so i guess it's just human nature but you just want to grab them and be like dude all the effort into haunting me create your own shit yeah you don't you don't you won't be mad at me anymore because you'll be like oh oh i was just mad because i hadn't done something and you did but now i did something and we're equals and shit yeah exactly it's frustration it's a simple formula putting yourself out there is the hardest thing and that was what the school was talking to mark snow about it was that he was so humble about it and it wasn't even he was like yeah i just you know did did a bunch of this music and I didn't love this. He didn't love the X-Files theme. He played it to his wife, and his wife was like, it's not making me jump up and down. Right. He played it for the Fox execs, and they were like, it's fine. And then, you know, uh, Chris Carter was like, it's fine. And then it came out, and it became huge, and there's dance remixes and a country version, and it's a huge... There was a country version of the X-Files? Oh, yeah. There's a, he, he told me who it was. I forget who it was. But And then he says that Fox exec who was like, I don't like your call. And was like, hey, remember when you played that music? And I was like, his fucking genius is going to be huge. <laughs> and Mark Snow was like, yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what day. was so cool. Like, you know, when you made Clerks, did you know that you were making something that you were like, oh, this is going to be something. And I still have- don't know that we made something that was going to be something. I always maintain that Clerks was like a it benefited insanely from luck and timing. Like if we had made that movie a year before or a year later, nobody gives a fuck. We just happened to say the right thing at the right moment about fucking being, you know, overeducated and underemployed at a certain point. Where suddenly people are like, yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's an example. And it's also the, you, you, that sort of ushered in a new era of indie filmmaking where people were like, oh, we can just make a movie. Uh, yeah, you but that, just- that had happened for me already. Like I saw Richard Linklater Slacker and that's, oh, sure. I was like, of oh, course, we could course. just make a movie. And yeah. he, you know, he had seen like fucking Godard and, and right. folks like that in advance of, of me, but. It's that I, you know, a lot of people are like because of you. I say like, I don't know if it's I was, I was the the story that was probably most relatable. Like Richard's story, uh, uh, you know, of Slacker. Um, he's in Austin, Texas, and he had already made a film. This was his second film. He'd made this film called "You Can't Learn to Plow by Reading a Book" or something like that. So Slacker was a second effort or something like that. And, you know, it's got a great story in as much as, like, there's no stars. It's just a bunch of people yeah. together. 
But like my story had the element of like that guy works in that fucking store and he made a movie and the movie's watchable. Like, yeah, it was all the element. And because of that, you can hold up that movie and that person and be like, you, you too can do this. And absolutely they could like that. I think it just like it was in advance of the YouTube era where once everybody entered the YouTube era, they're going to be like, oh, fuck, I'll turn a camera on myself. But my whole thing was like, I just want to see a movie about me and my friends. Like, yeah. I loved comedy so much. And Animal House was like my all time favorite fucking movie. But as much as I loved Animal House and I identified with the Deltas, um, it, it only went so far. Like they killed a horse at one point. And I was like, <laughs> I, I would never do this. Unrelatable. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I, I got to find a new friend. <laughs> so I'd never seen like anything about me and my friends out there. And for years I'd be like, why won't people make movies about like me and my friends? People would sit around and talk about fucking Star Wars and pussy and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you get to a place where you're just like, Nobody's ever going to fucking make a movie about you and your friends. You just Nobody have to gives do a fuck. It. You have to make a movie about yeah. you and your friends. And so suddenly, I'm like, all right. And that's what the YouTube era is now. Everybody's like, fuck it. Let's do it ourselves. So I just had the benefit of being there right before all that shit happened. Yeah. And Clerks looks terrible and looks easy and is fun to watch on, on some level. And so because of that, it's an empowering film. People look at it and go like, holy fuck, yeah. man, if this counts, I want to fucking do it too. But the way it looks is part of the whole vibe of that movie. I think it really yeah. adds to it. I mean, the, the way that the fight scene happens, like that's part of the experience mm. of watching that movie. Mm. That It's like, it's because it's inspiring to watch because it's not a slick movie, yeah. but it's a fucking good movie and it's a, it's, it's a fun movie to watch and it's really funny and it kind of looks like a movie that you're like, oh, I could. You think you could do that. And everybody can. Anybody yeah. Anybody can make that movie. You won't necessarily have the same results that I had. Like I said, luck and timing. I was in the right place at the right time. Right. Anybody can make that movie. It's literally about a day in my life, and I just made my life a little more interesting on yeah. that fucking day. So that's that's slice of life. Anybody can do that. Everybody's life. That's why I've been going out there and saying for fucking years. For the fir first 10 years, or maybe, shit, 12 years, I was like, make a movie. You two can make a movie. And now I'm just more honest with them where I'm like, look, making films is fine, but it's fucking expensive. Yeah. Like it's, it's like the hockey of arts in as much as like, if you want to play baseball oh, or basketball, pick you up do and that. go. Yeah. You want to play hockey, you're fucked. You need ice, you need equipment, skates, blah, blah, blah. So film, as I've said a zillion times, not like fucking painting. If you want to express yourself, you put some color on a canvas. Yeah. Fucking there it is. For this you, you need sing. craft services. For this you need like, yeah. I need $20 million in Ben Affleck to express myself. And that's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. So, you know, you get to a place where that 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 art form to me isn't as interesting as this art form this requires no money no time i mean just time but the time is cool and you're sitting around talking about stuff you're passionate about yeah. you don't have to clear like fucking uh we need you for a month and right. we need to talk to a lawyer to do this yeah there's no like positioning like or it's no. just yeah and it was so cool i just contacted you on twitter you said yeah let's set it up and yeah. then we've just been well, I saw back once that podcast launched once x files files happened somebody was like there's a, a podcast back i mean this is i've been going out there for like the last two years if you listen to all the other podcasts that that i do it's mycast.com going everybody should do a podcast because fuck it's easy before before they regulate it and before somebody figures out a way to charge you for it or fucking the government stops you, before a gatekeeper becomes involved, it's the wild, wild west. You can talk about whatever the fuck you want. Anything is a show. And so anywhere we go and talk, like people are like, I do a podcast. I'm like, what's it called? And they call out their names. And it's fucking awesome. It's like a series of punk rock bands. Like, yeah. It's the punk rock of spoken yeah. word. Anybody could do a podcast. 
And you, you kind of, uh, you get to this place, man, where you realize, fuck, I forget where I was going. I hit a pothole. Why? I had a really good point to make about podcasts. Fuck. Anybody can make it. It's the new punk rock. It's, I know. All it's not regulated. Good. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. It isn't. Ah, fuck. What was it? It was a salient point as well. Oh, there you go. That's good. The, uh, the notion of, of, DIY art, the notion of like, ah, fuck it, man. I'm just going to jump behind a mic and fucking with a buddy and talk about fucking whatever. Like every time I'm out there, I'm like, you could sit down, just talk about fucking, you know, Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joe only, but as related to Connecticut. Like it's that fucking specific. Oh, yeah. So when I heard the X-Files files, I was yeah. like, that is everything that. that that is in my heart. Whenever I speak about anybody could do a podcast because fucking you could talk about anything you want. Yeah. Right then and there. When I read X-Files files, I was like, there it is. Yeah. It's a perfect just, example. It's a fucking show yeah. where they just talk about that show. Yeah. You know, I do fat man on Batman. Yeah, show exactly. Where we just talk about fucking that thing. I just love that show so much. And, and you can get so much out of it. Oh yeah. And it's like, and, and it's been so cool talking to people involved with the show, but also talking to people seeing, cause I mean, you know, I talk about how there's like, you know, you love a lot of stuff, but for me, there's like a few things, like for you, it seems like slackers. It was one where it just crawls inside you and becomes part of your DNA and changes you as a person. Yes. Part of the reason I do what I do is because I watch The X-Files. Is it, it like, really? It like changed me. Why? Yeah. Why? Explain. What do you mean? I just saw it like moved me in so What many, were you doing when you were watching The X-Files? I mean, I was a kid, you know. I just... I was, <laughs> you were like, I was a child. I was a child watching this show and being like... You're like, I don't know if The X-Files changed me as much as, you know, development. <laughs> development. <laughs> Puberty changed Puberty. Me. I mean, I could do a podcast. So this is before... Girls. You never did anything else. You were like, one day I want to be an entertainer because of the X-Files? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I just saw, you know, you see stuff that fucking inspires you. Like, for mm. me, Gremlins. Um, wow, that's wild. Gremlins. Gremlins 2. I loved Gremlins 2. Really? Well, You're one of the few people that's like, fuck you, I stand by 2. Dude, there's a part where... 2 they, is very... 2 is like Batman Returns, and as much as it's it's kind of a... It's got a wicked sense of humor yes. that only plays for some people. And some people are like, what the fuck happened to Gremlins? But it's like, wow. You know what reminds me of oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. One is like flat out classic, right. horror classic, and the other is like an insanely fucking funny, sharp satire. Yeah. That is also what I would consider horror classic, but a lot of horror fans don't go for it. Same with Gremlins. Well, for me, it was the first time I'd seen anything meta because there's a part where they fuck up the film that yes. they project, and then yes. Hulk Hogan in the movie theater gets up and is like, put it back on. Leonard Malton is reviewing the first Gremlins and yeah. they fucking go and murder him. Yes. I was I had never seen that. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I is wanna this? be in that world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was in Pakistan, you know, watching all this stuff. I was like, I'll go where they make this. And I'll do something with that. <laughs> Did they do that here? Ma? Like, no. no, I'm going there. I'm going there. And for me, I mean it's so fucking cool I get to work with Mike Judge now, but like Beavis and Butthead. Do you watch you watch that there? As watching well? Beavis and Butthead, I had never seen comedy that was like that. That was never about losers who are also assholes yeah. and uncool. Yeah. Like, because you see either people who are like nice and being shit on, or assholes, or and popular. Right. These guys aren't popular. They're, they're, lo not, they're not nice. lovable losers. They're, they're not lovable, unlikable losers. Yeah, and still he made it work. Exactly, and it's super, super funny. Now, did you watch that in Pakistan? I watched. Uh, go, yeah, was it translated or was that in English? No, in English. I watched it in and English. And that show is kind of like. 
very, it, it's not too challenging, I would imagine. Like, if English is not your first language, because it's all like, uh. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's about dumb people, but it's a very smart. Oh, yeah. Show. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's a, it's a dumb show at all. But what I'm saying is, in terms of if English is not your first language, that's a pretty easy show to follow. Yeah. It's not like The Simpsons, where it's just like, bang, 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 comedy, no. comedy, comedy, <laughs> talking, 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 dialogue, dialogue, English, English, English. There's long stretches of Beavis and Butthead where all they do is laugh. Oh, they just watching music for yeah. a little while. Yeah, and they're just song. calling out one word things and <laughs> shit like that. But that's what's funny. Like Cornholio, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you why that's funny. I just know it it's funny. funny though, yeah, yeah. You I made me laugh. You just said it. Now. Yeah, <laughs> Cornholio. Yeah, but like, and that's what the you know X Files like, and and it came at a point. You were saying you know like take risks, do shit you want to do. Fox was like a fairly new network. Yeah, so they could try like new crazy stuff. Did you since you've been doing the show how? Far into the Fox run did they start that? Like in my memory, I remember when Fox turned into a network, the, the night it happened, like they announced that there was a big deal. There's like four shows. And one of the shows was from cable. Gary Shandling. It's Gary Shandling show was on the original Fox. Oh, lineup. is that right? So if I remember correctly, yeah, it was up. Tracy Ullman show. Um, there was a show called Duets. Oh, Tracy Ullman, Married with Children, Duets, and then they had... What's it's, Duets? Duets was like a guy meets a girl and they're okay. fucking in love. And then, um, <laughs> and then it's Gary Shandling's show, which was a Showtime show, but right. they ran it on Fox. That was a good show. So that was, I want to say, one whole season or six months before the Simpsons cartoon, which started and on that was Tracy first, Ullman, yeah. kind of blew up. So then they made... That into its own. First, they did a Christmas special, and then all of a sudden, they were like, "We're making this a show." So during all that time, no X Files. Um, X Files comes. Let me see. It's ninety three is when it started. Is that when it began? So yeah. when did Fox look up Married yeah. with Children? See the first year that aired because so that was Married with Children was when Fox started. Yeah, that was the one, their what flagship show. But they were like able to do that. Like Married with Children is a dysfunctional family. Uh, Simpsons is a cartoon that's doing stuff that cartoons never did. Yeah. X Files had a weird like there's a big ma major story you're and also minor good stories. Host, dude, you always bring it right back on point. I'm trying. I'm to. a you're you're really good. Like as I. I do this all the time and it's just like you found a subtle way without being like let's get back to x-files <laughs> well i mean it was subtle the, the you? most deft turn was the snow was returning to mark snow yeah i thought that was amazing I well handled he, I, I honestly do talking to that guy and it's cool to talk to you you know because you watching clerks like i remember i watched that in college and it kind of blew me away. I hadn't seen Slackers. So to me, Clerks was a Slackers where it was like, it made the world harder. Where I was like, fuck, I could just do that. Like, that, there's no well, barrier. It make it easier. But it made it scary for me to be like, oh, now I have no excuses. Like, but, uh, I got to go out and do shit now. People can do it. That's true. Yeah. I, I it, it makes saw it, it as scary. more empowering than anything else. Like, it's, if this fucking counts, I'm going to launch my fucking 87 show. is when it started. So it's okay, like a so few years in. 80, so six years before six they years. get to the x -Files. But even, the, yeah, but by then they're not, they're still fourth place by a long oh, way. By, and like a joke network at that point still. And they do, they were doing shows like whoops oh yeah and like the when animals attack and yes. stuff like that well that's fucking they'll still do that that's, yeah. <laughs> that's ratings that's getter. good stuff but whoops was the gilligan's a nuclear gilligan's island it's a story of like they dropped the atomic bomb 
by accident, and there was only like 12 people left on Earth. That sounds pretty cool. You would think. Herman's Head was another Fox, yeah. early Fox sick. They were doing a lot of weird stuff. They were like, let's, you know, those, which is cool. Yeah. Like, nobody takes those chances but Because now. they did all that shit, they eventually got to X-Files, X-Files yeah. and let Chris Carter go crazy. Yeah. And uh, what a fucking great, I, another episode, and I had an idea for a movie. Yeah. What, which I, I haven't, I haven't done. I'm working on something else, but uh, where it's a guy finds a genie, like a loser guy finds a genie and he like wastes, wastes his first two wishes on like bullshit. And so he's been stuck on the third wish now for like, you know, five years. And now it's just this genie hanging out with him. It was like, you gotta make the third wish. And that's he's just awesome. like terrified of like, he's gonna fuck it up like the other ones. That's you awesome, know? man. That's tremendous. Uh, that's a good idea. Like that's total like that fucking idea. concept comedy right there. You yeah. played a genie? Yeah. <laughs> I played the genie. You'd yeah. have to play the genie. It's like a buddy comedy, I'm you know? Serious. And then like, the part, the genie is the part. The other guys, you know, Mark Wahlberg and Ted, but the genie right. is the fucking part. It's and like if you Mark- wanted to fucking showcase yourself, that's a fucking, that, there it is right there. Cause you can just be like, come on, dude. Yeah. Be impatient. You gotta listen. I I can't give you. Cause it's like a relationship picture picture. It's like, you know, a comedy of remarriage or a comedy of divorce. Cause it's about a relationship that's just like, we're just together because of convenience at this point. We're more like brother and sister. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We're like arguing and stuff. We know each other too well. Yeah. I like that. You should do it. Exactly. You just gotta get this guy. But there's a great X-Files episode where Uh, he like, uh, X-Files episode that's about a genie. Yeah. Different premise, but it's a genie. And at the end, uh, he wishes for peace on earth and suddenly the whole world goes quiet and yeah. everybody's gone. So you got peace on earth by wiping out humanity and then he like wishes to undo it, which is a fucking great, that is great that's concept. a dark, pretty dark ending. That is, uh, even M. Night Shyamalan's going, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that. Exactly. <laughs> that shocked me. Uh, I, uh, recently, like I, you know, in my work, there was no, you know, place to do anything really all that X Files related other but than you make did, references and stuff like that. Yeah, but you started doing like more genre stuff, which is cool. The recent <laughs> thing, like this movie we got coming out in September called Tusk. Yeah. It's very I'm I'm certainly it's not X Files it's not very X Files in as much as there's a Mulder and a Scully. But it is it's creepy and unsettling, and there's a monster in it. That that preview is crazy. Oh my I'm God. going to Fantastic Fest. I'm excited to see that. that. I really want to see it there, yeah. But the one we're working on now, this picture Yoga Hosers, is very much like an episode of X-Files. It's weird. Like I've, I've gotten to a place in my career where I'm like, I'm just going to make shit. Now I'm going to try. I don't, I don't used to be like, I tell these stories come right from my fucking soul. But I emptied my soul and told all those stories. <laughs> so it's weird when you get to the place where you're like, I can't. Time to make up shit. Yeah, well, good art doesn't come from, like, happiness. You know, happy people don't make good art. And so Chasing that's Amy. That's horrifying. It's true, dude. Chasing Amy is, um, like, that's, and people are like, why don't you do one of those? I'm like, I fucking can't. Cause I already I'm happy. told that story. But yeah. not even I told that story. Like, I don't have any pain, bitch. Like, you want me to go through that again? Like, that was horrible. The only reason yeah. I got out of that is because I Alive is because I wrote a movie about it to deal with yeah. the fucking pain. And it's shit. like swingers. You watch swingers and you're like, that guy went through this. Yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. is a breakup movie. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, you don't want to wish that on anybody and stuff. And, and then, but then you get to a place where you're like, oh, I don't have any personal stories uh, left to tell that would matter. The stories I would tell that are personal now, it's like, 
Um, I work in the movie business because that's what my life became. Like everything prior to Clerks was a real life. And so I stripped mine that for like the first 10 years of my career. But while I was strip mining that, I wasn't living a real life because I was just living in fucking movie world and stuff. So you run out of shit to actually say. So I took some time off. I thought I quit the movie business. And then I came back to the podcast because of that Tusk movie. And suddenly, you know, I was kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'll just make shit up. And I was so, like, not against that in the beginning. But, like, that was my – I didn't do that. The only way I knew how to be a filmmaker was to, like – pull shit from my heart and project it and whatnot. So you get to a place where you're like, well, I got nothing left to pull worth talking about and shit. But oddly enough, I've been doing the job long enough where I've got some skills to actually tell a fucking story visually that I didn't have in the beginning. It's like a real O. Henry yeah. moment where you're like, I can tell the story now and I have nothing to say. <laughs> and so because of that podcast, because of the episode of Smodcast 259 where we talked about this weird walrus story that we read online and that, that became like the genesis of Tusk. I was like, maybe I'll write this as a movie because you can hear me on the podcast talking about like, man, I want to see this movie. Why won't someone make the movie about a guy who makes another guy into a fucking walrus? I pay money to see that. And, you know, it's like I had a snap in my brain. You kind of hear it on the podcast where it's just shy of me saying out loud, you used to be a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and finally I was like, I would, I, you know, I would actually write that. And I, I asked people hashtag it walrus yes or walrus no on Twitter and people were very walrus yes. And yeah. So because of that, I kind of went forward with it. But it was, it was, I had this moment where I was like, well, wait a second. If you don't have personal stories to tell, you can't be a filmmaker anymore. Cause that was my fucking box. That's what I, that's how I identify myself. And then I started going like, well, all the movies I used to watch, before you became a filmmaker, shit that you loved, like David Cronenberg, David Lynch, um, fucking Coen Brothers, later on Quentin. I don't think any of those cats work biographically. I hope right. not, because I, I really hope fucking David Cronenberg and David Lynch aren't pulling from their yeah. fucking real life, because they fucking put oh, things but, on screen but, that are imaginative and we, made up. And right, that's but, when I was like, holy shit, maybe I'll just... Fucking make shit up. Like George Lucas didn't know Wookiees in high school. No. He just made that shit up. But what's cool is that when you, you could take, you could do sort of big premise genre stuff, uh, but you could pour a little bit of truth in there from your life. Like for instance, uh, Cronenberg's one of his, uh, first big movies. What was that fucking movie called? Uh, Dead what, Ringers? Not, not Dead Ringers. It's, the Fly? Bef no, not The Fly, I think. Scanners? Shit, no. It's, uh, the, the, God damn it. It's the one with the the body uh it's a breakup movie basically. He his he was having a custody battle with his wife uh -huh. over his kid and he wrote this fucking oh, I got I, I got to look this up. It's like an amazing movie. It's his first one of his first like it might be even be a Canadian movie. Mm. I, I, they all are, man, except for the fly. I think Cronenberg was pretty much all Canadian. He, uh, I can't believe I can't think of this movie. It's the, it's one where those little guys start showing brood? up and killing the brood. That movie, that's a crazy premise. So uh, it comes from personal, and but it comes from a personal thing. That's, I'm ready a to tell people because Tusk is about a guy, uh, the guy who t you know turns another guy into a, a walrus. So you know it's body modification. Some people say or torture or whatever. Blah blah blah. So I'm gonna be like, this is just a uh, poetic retelling of working with Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! But that's not true. That's not true. You can actually on episode 259 of Smodcast, you can hear the origin. So if you listen to that podcast, yeah. skip the fucking movie because all we did was cool. bring that story to life. You could, you can, 
you know, you don't know where inspiration is going to come from. And that's what with Mark Snow. Watch me bring it this fucking Look back. At this, do it. Do wait, it. Watch him land this fucking bird. Sometimes, you know, I used to when I first started writing, I was like, I have to wait for angels to speak to me. And I got to feel that magic when you think of an idea. And sometimes you get that. But a lot of times it's fucking hard work. And a lot of times it comes out of nowhere. You were yep. goofing around with your friends the, about a guy who turns another guy into a walrus. Podcast. You weren't sitting around being like, let's come up with a great idea for a movie. It wasn't like that. And yet, and oddly, and I swear to Christ, I ain't even lying. I mean, it's by my estimation, so I, everyone else will make their own call if they ever want to see it, but is the best film I've ever made. I'm fucking excited. Out of everything it. I've done, it's the best film I've ever made. And it, and it can, and the origins of it, there's nothing really fucking, Weird about the origins. I've seen, like, there's a website that keeps taking fucking shots at me because they're like, this is not a film. It came out of a Stoner podcast and smoking weed and Stoner jokes without seeing it, dude. And then you see the trailer, and the trailer kind of is legit, and the poster's legit, and it's with a company that's very legit, A24 straight up. (laughs) And still, these fuckers are like... Nothing good could come. This a movie is defined thusly, and these are the same oh, people gross. who are always like, "Why does Hollywood keep making sequels and remakes?" So here I present something that's like, "Look, love or hate it, I swear to you, you've never seen anything like it." And some people will right. be like, "Well, oh, fucking Human Centipede," and I'm like, "Well, watch it, I swear to you, it's you've never seen anything like yeah. this." Um, it can't be Human Centipede. I've never seen Human Centipede. I'm familiar with the concept, as right. we all are. It's a it's a very relatable concept. Oh they yeah, yeah, carry yeah. Carry that in a sentence. Some days you feel like the middle guy in a Human Centipede. All you gotta do in life is be the front one. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's strive to be the front. That's but what Hollywood is. That is. But it's crazy that that like it'll come from anywhere. Inspiration will come from anywhere. The only thing about Tusk that's different is it's open sourced. You can hear the moment it happened. That's what I loved about reactions so cool. to that podcast. Like people on Twitter going. Is that how you get started? Like, because some people don't know. And it sounds ridiculous to someone like you and I, because it's just like, oh, my God, fucking, we know how to get started. We're doing it. Like, fucking, it's it's swim or drown. You fucking want to be in that pool, you start fucking treading water. But some cats don't even know how to get to the pool. They don't even know how to leave the house to get to the car to get to the fucking pool to jump in and start treading water. And so because of that podcast, I saw a lot of cats on Twitter and Facebook going like, I had no idea that that is how you... Right. You just do um, it. Yeah, you're just sitting around with your friend and you start talking and, and you start shaping. They're like, I do that with my friends all the time. And it's oh, like, yeah. yes. So I kept it because of that. I was like, I, it was interesting to me. You know, it's when you, I've been doing this job 20 years. Like, you got to do different shit to engage yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, the same shit, different day. So what interested me most at that point was like, was the idea, like, I, 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 we, I hadn't even decided to write a script yet. I was like, ah, maybe I would. But once I saw people going like, is that how it's done? I was yeah. like, oh, shit, this is a teaching moment. Yeah. You can literally open source this and show them from beginning to end. This is how I came up with the script. Yeah. Now I'm going to go get money. I'll keep you engaged throughout the shooting, blah, blah, blah. And let them know how simple it is. And and also, you know, some people are like, oh, it's simple for you. You make clerks. Yeah. But then a couple of years ago, I was like, go fuck yourself. And I shot myself in both feet and burned my career to the ground. Like in a big, bad fucking way. And nobody wanted to work with me, dude. Like, you know, and that was fine by me because I was like, I'm out of here. And I wasn't mad at anybody in particular. I just didn't. The system made no sense to me. When yeah. I was making a $5 million movie that cost $10 million to distribute, I was like, what this is fucking yeah. Wonderland. Like if you're making, you know, Avengers and cost two hundred and it costs another hundred to market, yeah. that makes sense. But when you're telling the stories I tell and your marketing budget is double of what you're using to tell the story, like 
it was unappetizing. Plus, like I said, I'd gotten to the place where I was like, I had nothing interesting to say. So I got to a place where I was able to just kind of step away from it. But that story made me come back. And more than anything else, it was just the idea of going like, let me show you how simple it can be. Yeah. And, and showing them from the ground up with no more benefit other than like, oh, I know a few actors because I've worked in the business. But because I'd suck, I'd so fucking trenchantly just buried my fucking career, um, at Sundance. Three years prior. Did you? Yeah. What did, what did you do? The Red State. I was up on stage. And oh, I was like, I'm taking you... this out myself because uh-huh. this system's fucking nuts. Um, it was a real Jerry Maguire moment. Do you moment. regret it? No, it was awesome. It's okay. like this. I, I made two movies with Johnny Depp. Yeah. Because of that moment. Because I stood on stage and was like, you know what? I'm going to take this out myself because I don't know any other way to do this. Everything else doesn't make sense. And I did it a bit more histrionic way. But, I, you know, that was the idea. The idea was like, I'm, I'm, I, the system's weird and it's I can't total, fix it, but I'm just going to take it out myself. Total Jerry Maguire moment. And it was terrifying, dude. Yeah. And it was terrible for like two years because motherfuckers were like, fuck you. And, and people that didn't like me like used it as a moment to like piss on my ashes and shit like that. But the whole time, I was just building something else and something yeah. new because the old stuff was, I mean, how many times could I say clerks? You know what I'm saying? And suddenly I was no. like, maybe I can just build something new. No. And it all came from this kind of shit. And I, podcast. and I bet, and I bet Tusk has stuff from your life, from your emotional life that's in there that gives I, it truth. I guarantee you that if you watch Tusk, it is unmistakably my movie. Yeah. Like you'll be like, holy shit. This is all. I mean, when, if you I, know the yeah. podcast, you really be like, oh my God, because I just stole liberally from all our episodes yeah. of the podcast. So yeah, it's, you'll, you'll know it's me, but not in the way that it used to be where I'm like, uh, I was a clerk and this is a story of a clerk and I was in love with a girl and there's a story about a guy who's in love with a girl and I used to hang out at the mall with my friends and there's a story about people hanging out at the mall with their friends and I went to Catholic school for eight years and was an altar boy and here's dogma. Like this is something different where it's like, this is a story about a guy who turns another guy into a walrus and it's yeah. fucked up and that right. was, that's, that's all I care about at this point. 20 years into my career, I just want to be able to make a movie that I loved and watched growing up like Kornberg yeah. and Lynch just but that's what I mean you know this fucked up movie like Shaun of the Dead is just about a guy trying to get a girlfriend back you Shaun know? of the, the Dead is one of the greatest uh, relationship movies ever yeah. made because I mean you know people call it Zomcom or Romcom but it's it's just about how you have to kill off your mother and your friend yeah in order to have a real relationship yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a human being a human girl that's truth unfortunately and that's what watch me bring this back I gotta, I gotta run out unfortunately but that's what I think about the X-Files you know, they're uh, it, also the story of a boy and a girl. How you have to kill off a bunch of monsters yeah, just to have a relationship, just to have a relationship. relationship. And it's about Mulder just dealing with his guilt over his sister being gone and the loss of the sister. Let's do lightning round. Let's do. I've quit. We quiz each other. Okay, go. What uh, What was the name of the serial killer that uh, the that Mulder wrote the the um, monogram about monograph about the monograph? Yeah. It's only referenced once in the show, but like he, that's how they introduced Mulder when they're talking to Scully and cigarette smoking man's in the room. And they're like, do you know uh, Agent Mulder? And she's like, they call him spooky. I just want a monograph. I just want the serial killer. Give me a little hint. Monty props. Oh, I they never know. did an episode about Monty Props. Like, I don't. They never f- flashed back. They never like did an origin story. They yeah. could totally still do that story. That always stuck in my mind because that's in the origin episode right up front, man. Yeah. And you're like, holy fuck! Like it was a big enough deal where she's like, I I know Monty his work Props. because of he wrote the monograph on Monty Props, and they never touched it again. Are right, you, you do? Well, me. that's what's what I like about Mulder is that he was a, a really really great at his job until he went nuts and is not 
now in the basement chasing ghosts and UFOs. Right, right, right. I like that that's where it starts, but that he was really good. All right, let me do one. Let me do one. Um, what? The Erlenmeyer flask. The, <laughs> that's correct. Thank you. That is correct. That is correct. That's how, like, when I, when I would study chemistry, I wasn't good at it. But if I never knew the answer, I'd be like, hydrogen bonding. <laughs> that's a good guess. That was the answer. Shot in the dark. Like 40% of the time, <laughs> which is pretty good odds. There's a Chris there's a Chris Rock joke where he goes like, you know, when you're going to school and they're doing Black History Month, he's going like most kids are always like, uh, Martin Luther King? Because he's like, chances are <laughs> the answer is going to be Martin Luther King. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was uh, the name of the serial killer that kidnaps um, uh, Dana Scully? And he's like, he likes to collect like hair. Like he likes to. Uh, um. Um. Is this the guy who's Hervin Volk? Is, he, is this the one who, who ice pick chicks in the eyes? No, this one is from the one called Irreplaceable. <sighs> oh, no, Irresistible. Sorry. Irresistible. Not the tattoo episode? Not the tattoo episode. The yeah. hair. It's not Tombs? It's not Tombs. Tombs is the liver special yes, mutant man. guy. Yeah. Fuck. All right, I don't know. Donnie Faster was his name. I with a P. With a gun in my head, I never really okay. Do you Okay, do you know the name? Uh, okay. Ah, uh, shit. I don't know if you would know. I just love this guy's name. They came up with great names. They I did. noticed, like, because you gotta, it's like Law and Order. You gotta have five new great names every episode. Yeah, that's, that's true. They, they introduce a bunch of fuckers. Wait yeah. a second. Uh, we forgot uh, Boggs, Luther Lee Boggs. Yeah, that, that is also right. one of the greatest episodes. One of the creepiest moments in TV history is when they, you know, her parents are over her house in the pre, in the, in the cold opening of that episode. Oh, uh, beyond, it's called Beyond the Sea. Yeah. And she, you know, she's like, good night, says good night to her dad and to her mom. And then she falls asleep watching TV and she wakes up and she's like, really good job of like acting, waking up. That's, that's tough to pull off. I've practiced that sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Practicing waking up. I remember that moment because I was like, wow, that's believable. And she's trying to focus and she sees her dad sitting in the chair. Yeah. And he's talking, but you don't hear anything. And so he's kind creepy. of, oh, oh, fuck. Even talking about it, it reminds me of the two little girls from The Shining. He's talking, he's looking up and he's just like fucking muttering, but you don't hear anything. Yeah. And she's like, dad, I thought you left. And then the phone rings and she goes to answer it. Yeah. And she looks and he's not there anymore. And it's her mom saying her dad died. Fucking mind bending opening of an episode. Creep. That is creep. I wish that had been the first episode I saw. That's because I'd have great. sucked dick and broken necks to watch the rest of that fucking yeah. series right away. I wouldn't I, wait for no fucking. Box I was just set. talking to Glenn Morgan and about that exact scene, oh. and he said he came up with it. he doesn't believe in. Ghosts. He wrote that. He wrote that, and I asked about that scene. I was like, that's so because that to me is a perfect intersection of creepy, yes, and emotional because yes. that's the last time she's gonna see her dad. Yes, but it's fucking so creepy. It's so quiet, and he said he came up with it he was his grandfather had passed away and he was listening to his grandfather's favorite band and he was working with this pen pen knife hmm. he was like just carving something and he was like my grandfather is behind me right now and if i look back my whole world is going to change because i don't believe in ghosts i don't believe in god and i'm going to turn around and he's going to be sitting there and it's going to fuck with everything so i can't turn around and from that moment he wrote that scene of like the he wakes up and sees the dead and that thing of like oh fuck everything i believe in science all of that is now in question so oh again it's a fucking crazy story about a guy who can talk to that. dead people but yeah. it's coming from a very real emotional nugget of truth you know my wife's my wife's mom was on a plane her brother went 
went down, died in a plane, went into a lake, Piper Cub kind of plane, like a, a two or small four plane, man, small yeah. plane, went into a lake, died. So they all go out to the funeral and whatnot, and they get on the plane to fly home. And she's like, I looked out the window, and she's like, my brother was sitting on the wing of the plane. And I was like, like that fucking Twilight Zone episode? She's like, yeah. And But I was like, they William were parked Shatner? at the gate. Yeah, I was like, was it William Shatner? But she, I said, what, what, what did you do? And she's going, nothing. I just looked, and he looked back at me, and he waved. And I turned to my mom and I said, Mom, do you see his name? I don't know his name. And uh, she goes, no, is he there? And she says, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at him right now. She goes, is he smiling? And she said, yeah. And he goes, she goes, okay. Because apparently in their family, they'd had sightings, post-death oh. sightings. That are just like that fucking X-Files episode. Yeah. So I remember like when they told me that story, the first thing I said was like, did you ever see the episode of the X-Files? And they looked at me like, we told you something happened for real. <laughs> and you immediately you took it to bullshit. <laughs> some TV. But that one works because it's all about her trying to like, you know, she thinks her dad was never proud of her. And she's look, looking for the last message from him. And he's talking and he can't convey. Yes. He's like, he's saying something to her and she doesn't know what the fuck it is. And it all ends with her like she doesn't get to know. Yeah. Like he's like, if you come when they lift that curtain. Yeah, I'll give exactly. You this message and she don't fucking go for it. That is one. Of, you know what? I might actually shout that out one. as my favorite episode. Is is beyond the. Glenn Morgan wrote that. I just talked to him about oh, it. Oh, that, so is a, that is that that I, I, I think that is hands down. That's my favorite X Files. It is so haunting and so emotional and so beautiful and fucking creepy. Um, and it's a, a great Scully Trump, episode. It? Yeah. All it's pretty much all Scully. It's all Scully. Mulder's kind of checked out. Uh, dude, I gotta run out. This has been fucking fantastic. Come back in. We'll Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk more X Files. Uh, Kevin Smith, fucking fantastic. Happily, the truth out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. It was brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store for a free trial and ten percent off. Visit squarespace.com. Enter offer code X Files Files at checkout. That's how you support our show. That's how you support Squarespace, who's been supporting our show. Uh, obviously, it's a free show. But a lot of work goes into it. And by signing up for this, even if it's, you know, it's free. You're not spending any money and you're not even giving them your credit card. So that's how you support this show. Uh, so next week, I will be talking about two more episodes, Aubrey and Irresistible. Um, Irresistible is a classic. It's a really, really, really great episode. There's a, there's a good run coming up right now. And my guest for next week is Steve Asbell, who is a executive at Fox. Now, this is interesting. Because you guys would be like, why do you want to talk to an executive? It's a really, really interesting conversation. He was the producer of the second X-Files movie. And even though he denies it, he was pretty instrumental in getting the second X-Files movie made. He'll tell a story about it, but he contacted Chris Carter and was like, hey, I love this show. I'm a new exec. Let's do something with it. And um, so, so we talk about these two episodes, and he's a huge, obviously, a huge X-Files fan. But what's also interesting is that I'd never really talked to an executive before. So he's, you know, we also talk about like movies and um, just from the movie making side of it, because obviously I've talked to, you know, writers and directors, but the studio people, I mean, you know, um, it's interesting the kind of considerations that go into making a good movie. And he's, he's a really, really great guy. And he's a really good executive. And you realize, you know, that a lot of these executives that you sometimes start thinking of as being 
I don't know, suits or whatever. This guy's awesome. And he really cares about the movies he makes and he wants to do a good job. And you really get an insight into a part of this world that I didn't have insight into. And, I'm, and I don't think a lot of people do. Uh, but then we also talk about Aubrey and Irresistible too. Um, well, Irresistible is really, really fantastic. And Aubrey has a bunch of good stuff in it as well. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at xfilesfiles or follow me at Kumail and go to the Reddit, the uh, xfilesfiles subreddit. You can email me at xfilesfiles at gmail.com. Uh, still getting a lot of great emails and I'm going to get another great um, uh, letters episode going. Um, Alright, and uh, thanks for listening guys. Hey, baseball junkies, check out Duck Snort, a baseball podcast for people who can't get enough baseball. We talk with baseball fans and pros to bring you funny and thought-provoking conversations about America's pastime. Like whether Mike Trout or Madison Bumgarner will win a skills competition. Or if Bartolo Colon is a cyborg who will pitch until he's 100. So subscribe to Duck Snort in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Or visit DuckSnortPodcast.com.